To Be Continued, a fanboy podcast. You can check us out at to be continued, a fanboypodcast.com. Please also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can also listen to us on our various platforms on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. To Be Continued is an adult podcast for adults by adults. We may talk about superheroes, sci-fi, comic books, and all sorts of similar crap like that, but we may use adult and frank language when we do so. This is not a podcast for kids, brothers and sisters. Enjoy. And welcome to NPR's <laughs> Tiny Desk. Tiny Desk. Tiny Desk Productions. That's right. That's right. <laughs> NPR's The Folding. The, the Folding. The Folding Table. <laughs> the Folding Table. <laughs> We uh, we originally were the tiny desk people, but our budget got cut, so, so now uh, we're a folding right. table. So uh, what we're going to talk about today is um, you know we we'll just start the show and we'll just <laughs> we'll just uh, tell you what we're gonna what we're gonna tell well, you. Well, okay, no, no, um, we'll cover like the new stuff, like the um, the deaths, yeah. Uh, uh, the Marvel sort of TV uh, shakeup stuff yeah, this, and what that strike, means. For us, like, yeah, the strike still continues and on. Strike and stuff like that. And how there's a gazillion Walking Deads right now. <laughs> no, I'm read us in. I'm lost in Europe. The Walking Dead. All right. So are we ready? Right, yeah, let's are go. Are we ready to go? Are you ready to go, sir? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. And a five, a four, a three. And welcome back. Uh oh, he's got out the he's got out the six string. Oh no, that doesn't. Matter. <laughs> wait, wait, one more time. Okay, one more time. One more time. No, wait, one, 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 one more time. <laughs> this and and that is 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 that the legal amount that we're allowed before? Yeah, we get you know you're right. The number of chords. You are right. Because I don't know about you. I'd fuck with Jimmy Page. No, I'm. I'm <laughs> And we put that on a t-shirt. I will put that on a t-shirt. No, no, I ain't fucking no, with Jimmy Page. We, we got to fear Taurus coming out after us. Taurus? Taurus. Didn't they they sue uh, Led Zeppelin for that song? Who? Taurus. Who's Taurus? Taurus? What's Taurus? Who's Taurus? I've never heard of them before either. Oh, is this one of the many times oh, that they've been sued those, over the years? One of those. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Hey, man. Look, we can't all be the creative genius mind of Ray Parker Jr., no. You know who you know use the use the baseline from I want a new drug to create Ghostbusters. We can't we can't all do that. There's a lady in the house. There's, there's, a, there's a lion in the house. <laughs> okay, white people, give up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Who's a slave? I'm not a slave. Twelve years a slave. <laughs> Whip sound, and then he takes gigantic <laughs> drink of scotch. God bless Kean Peel for all the work that those two men have done and, and continue to give us. This is to be continued, a fanboy podcast covering your fanboy passions. You're not going to learn anything, apparently. <laughs> if you stick around, but if you stick around, you may You're doing exactly what we're having. Exactly. Lots of fun. <laughs> it, uh, here we are in uh, Pancake Studios uh, Dash G. Seven point two five, and uh, running the show here is our uh, fabulous producer Jonathan Vergara, and the greatest. Sitting next to me, as always, is Edward Ng, 
And I'm Miguel Alejandro Velez, one of your hosts. And uh, this is To Be Continued, a fanboy podcast, where we're just going to talk about fanboy bullshit for a little bit. Yeah, for for a long little bit. <laughs> <laughs> this is costing us money, Velez. <laughs> so... Um, Coming back, uh, our new show here today, we're going to cover uh, some of the stuff in the news, as it were, and then the meat of our show is going to be twofold. We're going to give a breakdown of our thoughts on the uh, Ahsoka Disney Plus streaming show that uh, ended and had its finale recently, and then because we're in the spooky season, it was a thing I kind of wanted to get around to for a while. Oh, whoa. Whoa. That was a scary or, horse. Or, I don't know. Orifices were being violated. <laughs> you use, I mean, this is, that's the thing. That's what happens whenever someone says the word spooky. It's really, really. <laughs> but uh, what, are you, what are you, a Vincent, you're a Vincent Price album from 1973? But uh, because it is the spooky season, we will be talking about um, something I wanted to do for a while, which was a compare contrast to the 1985 vampire classic film Fright Night and its 2011 uh, remake. Uh, so oh, that is on the agenda. Man, for the I thought we were talking about Blackula today. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, speaking of... Okay. okay, hold on. Wait a hold second. On, on. Wait a second. No, no, no. Because you have, what you don't understand if anyone listening at home is that um, currently, Jonathan is in his full Blackula cosplay. He's got the afro. He's got he's got the fangs on. He's got everything. He's Blackula'd out. And uh, I'm sorry, no, like he put a lot of effort. He put a lot of effort. Uh, if you, uh, you guys in the audience, uh, if you, whoever you, if whoever's listening, if you're able to try to get your hands on, and if you're a fan of the Venture Brothers, okay, okay, uh, try to get your hands on the, uh, I guess the finale closer movie. That's just been released um, called uh, Radiant is the Blood of the Baboon's Heart. Venture oh, Brothers. Right so now. classic Venture Brothers. You finally get titling. to see uh, Jefferson, um, Jefferson Twilight, Jefferson Twilight Blackula kill Blackulus. You finally get to see him kill Blackulus. Well, we saw him got to, no, we saw him kill Blackulus no. when he was kind of introduced. But the whole entire run, if you if you think about it, well, yeah, they haven't never done like, that thing. I that. only kill. Blackulus. No, no. It's very specific. No, no, no. <laughs> the the bit specifically goes when they're when the order of the triad is trying out for arch villains. The one villain goes, so uh so so what is it? You just kill uh, African American vampires? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Sometimes they're from France and England. <laughs> They don't have African-Americans in England, all right? Uh, okay, look, I just thought that. All right, man, listen. I kill that black vampires, all right, man? I don't know what the PC word to do that is. So, uh, uh, yeah, so the Venture Brothers has... Uh, it, Maybe we'll cover that We'll once, cover that once, yeah, when we'll, we'll yeah. finish this up here. Um, we are going to talk about um, a couple of deaths, unfortunately, uh, but also um, the strike, the resolution of the strike, the new strike... <laughs> well, it's a different strike. It's a different it's strike. A different strike. It's a different strike. And uh, also talk about uh, a little bit of what's happening apparently with the streaming uh, shows that are being produced by Marvel uh, because of a shakeup uh, that Kevin Feige has uh, instituted. This. Damn you, Barry! So damn you, Barry! Uh, Wait, which which Barry? Barry Allen or uh, Bill Hader's Barry? Uh, Both, really. <laughs> Both, really. At this point. Wait, Ed. Could you imagine? Bill Hader's Barry Wait. does not have, a, you know. Wait, a season of Bill Hader's Barry 
where Barry develops the powers of Barry Allen? Yes, talk to us, HBO. Anyway, we will be back with that and more after these words from friends. Orphan Guitars. Local friend of the show, Alex, who works at Orphan Guitars, can help you find out what you're looking for, whether vintage or the right musical equipment for your needs, brand names from Fenders to Gibsons, electric guitars, basses, guitar amps. Just head over to 493 Court Street at OrphanGuitars.com. You know, John, they've also helped with the community making donations to local soup kitchens in the past. Brooklyn's coolest guitar shop. That's OrphanGuitars.com. You know what? I got the call, Miguel. It's, it, it's, it's yes, Henry. Well, Mr. you Winkler. said you wanted to talk to talk about Barry, or you wanted to talk to uh, um, ben, Bill. To, to hate it to Bill. Bill, about this. Bill is a wonderful guy. He's fantastic, and of course, you know this. This sort of series is very off the beaten path. <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, uh, you're obsessed. Maybe with like a Winkler. week ago, we were getting into like uh, you know like. Man, he uh, the Fonz has been abandoned left and right by his father, his mother. <laughs> well, we're just going to go like, like how many very special episodes of Happy Days where it was just like Fonzie discovers something about his parentage or something about he his meets origins. A uh, long lost brother, he like his father appears out of nowhere. It's like he goes he looks and finds for his, his mother. He looks for his mother. Like, and all God. the time I'm going like, wait a minute. Like he was raised by his grandma Nussbaum. <laughs> By the way, all of this is on YouTube. This is all on YouTube. It's all on YouTube. Anyway, on YouTube. we, we that was not, anyway. Uh, I'll, talk, have, you, I'll talk to Bill Hader about yeah, it. Yeah, talk to Bill Hader. Uh, so, um, speaking of the 70s, Ed, because, yeah, unfortunately, this is. How can you go into a death story? And it is, it's impossible, because the person we're going to talk about, the second I say her name, that. It's gonna, it's gonna pop your head, but um, a little bit silly. But I did think we needed to talk a little bit. Just I, and that's the, the thing. Just I, kind of, I kind of like was like, why are we gonna talk about Suzanne Summers, Miguel? And then you and, and then you and why? I went for forty minutes talking about yeah, these and company. We really didn't and you have, realize you didn't have to twist my arm <laughs> for me to go. Oh, okay, let's do it. You know. But just as a small thing, and I think more of a generational thing because I don't. Um, John here is not that is a little younger than us, but he's he's not of a time when he I don't think when he grew up that would have been as heavy into syndicated rotation as as then. But uh, Suzanne Summers passed. Um, she was how old, Edward? Uh, seventy six, I believe. Seventy six. Um, <clears throat> do you know Three's Company? Of course, John. Yeah. Well, you know she was one of the orig- original cast members of Three's Company, right? Yes, the original cast, with along with Joyce DeWitt and, and uh, John, John Ritter. Ritter. And this was a show <laughs> that, uh, John, it's hard to explain, like, the basis of it. I've told Dad that this is the problem. Unfortunately, I saw a lot of threes. Of- Unfortunately or, or fortunately? Fortunately. <laughs> fortunately. Wow. No, I, I, no, no. no. You're going to piss give, on her grave, too? Is no, you going to no, do? No, You're no, just going to no. piss on her grave? Let me give you context. Remember, I've seen this as a little kid reruns with, like, my aunt. So like at seven you can't really appreciate it, you know. Yeah, well, hey, well, you don't really I don't. Know. Honestly, three's it's company. Really boring. <laughs> three's company. Maybe seven. you could. Maybe at six it was it was very easy. Because as Ed has has pointed out, it was a show that was so broad that his you know his immigrant parents <laughs> could be like, yeah, no, no, we get it. 
funny guy, you know, funny guy, two hot women. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't need any more my, context like, than that. So there was a time in my childhood where, uh, because it was, like you say, it was syndicated. My father gets home and there it is. It's John Ritter, Joyce Witt, and Suzanne Summers. There was not much to really understand. You didn't have to, just like Benny Hill. Or Benny whatever. Hill, right? You really didn't you have could to get understand the, You language. could get whatever you, you needed visually. It. My father used to do the... Um, you remember Don Knotts whenever he got into a fight? <laughs> yes, yes. He did the he did like the the, the chop socket. But he, it was like you guys that you guys who are listening to this can't see this, but it's basically like you've got the the knife hands and one chops and the other well, chops. Well, I mean, like it's like if, I'm, if I remember to, correctly, that's a Don Knotts bit that he'd been doing <laughs> since like Mayberry, right? These hands are registered deadly weapons. My father, like you know, my father's gone, but that is just one of the things I'll always remember. He 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 did. He thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And granted, like Don Knotts, who he may have remembered uh, from watching uh, Mayberry episodes, right? Mayberry you know? and, and, and you know a <clears throat> lot of '60s stuff. Like yeah. Don Knotts was, but that was a, a huge, pretty show. successful uh, comedian. I mean, yeah. Bottom line, Three's Company was a huge show. And it was everywhere. And like you know, like even after it gone off the air, it had it had gone into that era where mm-hmm. it syndicated. Like you said, it was just ubiquitous for a certain demographic. Like it's just part of your pop culture background radiation if you were a kid from the 70s through to the early 80s. And Suzanne Summers, I believe, you know, was one of the first in in Hollywood to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, and then she kind of regretted it. And then someone pitched her this idea, hey, let's sell. What if you were a sheriff? <laughs> Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. That wasn't even in your calculation, which was one of those shows yeah, I know. that re- I believe that, you know, you know, post her career, it, you know, there's, th- we can talk about Thighmaster. We could talk about her hormone replacement stuff that she was into, but like, well, she's, she's the-, the sheriff was one of those shows that was like on a network and then switched into syndication mm-hmm. and became, I believe like a syndicated show on like the family channel or something like that. I think and er- ran for years and years after that. Well, I think in their uh er- earlier on with the with Three's Company, she was an undeniable sex symbol. Yeah. You know, and very and a very a lot maybe along the lines of how a very, a very mainstream Hollywood sex symbol, mm-hmm. which is to and and which is to, and also which is to say, even compared to Farrah Fawcett, <clears throat> we eventually got nudes of Farrah Fawcett. Suzanne Summers never did anything like that. She did not star in a bunch of films where she, you know, was half naked. She never did mm. Playboy as far as I remembered. And if she did, it must have been much, much like long past, you know, her time. It was sort of a wholesome sexuality. Um, and that was the whole thing about what the it difference, was. It, it, what was the difference between her and the other character and Joyce DeWitt's character? So I, yeah. I love pointing this out, right? Which is Joyce DeWitt was the, you know. A florist. It's like. It's like Charlie's Angels, Kate Jackson was the the brainy one. You know, she yeah, was cute, she was, but she yeah, has a brainy because one. Because she was a short because she a short haired brunette equals brains. Exactly. And Joyce Sewitt was exactly that, right? Which is like, ah, not you know, not that many gave paid her attention uh, because they were all eyes all eyes were on the the, the bubbly blondes, which mm-hmm. she played on. And then she leaves, and then I believe the the network had a hard time replacing her because it was like, oh my God, Suzanne Summers is gone. She's the star of the show. Okay. I mean, uh, I don't know if she was let's the star of the show. Let's replace her with this other blonde. Oh, by the way, who happens to be her cousin? Let's replace that that <laughs> one with one? Priscilla Barnes. Well, I think it's also I think it's more along the lines of 
like, while I wouldn't say that Suzanne Summers was the star any more than um, John Ritter. No, any more than uh, uh, WKRP is Lonnie, oh, Lonnie Anderson Lonnie. was the star of WKRP. But let's assume, like, you're taking away a big <clears throat> chunk of their material <clears throat> if you suddenly get rid of Lonnie Anderson and WKRP, yeah. right? Yeah. In the same sense that what specifically what they had, you know, for Chrissy's <clears throat> as the character, you'd no longer had that. Now you had a different dynamic and it didn't work quite as as well. And as I also like to point out, as we had our discussions about this last few days. Another issue Three Company has as a show is the simple fact that there is a naughtiness to it in the 1970s when it premieres. We're in the back, we're in the sort of like, the wake of, we're in the wake of the sexual sexual, revolution and TV, unless we we really do forget, like as much as conservatives in this country like to pretend that Hollywood has always been this balls to the wall, you know, crazy over the top, like offensive and violating everything. No, the truth is most entertainment is very hidebound and very conservative, especially back then. So when something hip and cool comes, you know, Hollywood always likes to domesticate it first and then set it off into the masses. So free love basically got boiled down to, hey... Guy lives in house with two women he's not married to. He would like to have sex he's with both of them. He's also pretending to be gay. And he has stand, to pretend right? to be gay in order for <clears throat> this to work. Because even in the 1970s, apparently, if three adult humans decided to cohabitate, to be, the law would get involved or something. Like, that is... And so, once we turn, we get over the precipice of the 80s, that just seems very quaint as you and I, again, we were talking and it was just like, it's the same reason why they had to abandon the cross-dressing conceit for Bosom Buddies. Because mm. that's in the <laughs> 80s, right? And I'm not saying that there weren't parts of the country. At some point, they just like, you know what? Yeah, we're done. We don't need, like, we so don't need the to, they don't need to dress the hook, up as women anymore. These two guys every week, because there's only so much you can do yeah. with that. And they were just like, second season, we don't even care about that anymore. And again, I am not saying that in those in that period in the 70s or in um or in the 80s where in terms of bosom buddies like i'm sure there were single sex housing you know sort of setups um all over the country in different places there was still a hangover from the 50s and 60s in this country and i'm not going to deny that maybe perhaps <clears throat> Someone would have objected on some levels to some local ordinance or whatever if one guy had shacked up with two girls or whatever. But again, it, was, it was being and, on syndication and, for many correct years. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ed, though. They lived in Southern California. Where in Southern California San is some is San Diego? Is some landlord gonna make a <laughs> successful like lawsuit? Yo, you're a single guy living with two women. Again, in the, the 1970s. Maybe you can get it by the time the 1980s go. You go like, well, no, they have a counter suit here. It, just well, like- what's the, the, the nuts? The, the parts that's kind of nuts is, as Jonathan points out, like it was on syndication even when he was a boy, right? Yeah. You know, and it's like 90s. you get home from school, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the joke here is like the, this thing that was supposed to be this naughty sex comedy, the Benny Hillness of it all. It's like yeah, whenever is instead whenever, on an afternoon in syndication. Whenever uh, Suzanne Summer does does one of her little dances and those things are jiggling, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Ritter's eyes are on those things, right? And we're laughing with them, and and it's and I'm like I I can't believe him. I like like now in hindsight, I'm like I was what about seven years old, and again it was allowed to this. be on at like on like before the news, yeah, you know, so between right. like three and four in the afternoon, and but also this goes afternoon delight, but also <laughs> this goes to show you, however. 
what I'm talking about, which is that it was in prime time, it was scandalous oh, and so adult and sexy. And by the time it gets into syndication in the 80s, they're like, yeah, this is about as tame as public. We can put this on in the afternoon. It's not really what we think but it it's is. It's also family friendly. Like it's it's a weird thing because it's. Well, wait, what? Wait, hold on. Can we? Sorry, sorry. Can, can no, you say okay. that again? Sorry, it's like it's <laughs> it's it's one of those things because it's also family friendly. Because it like has you, been str- it has yeah, been yeah. strained through the Hollywood no. processor of making no, no. it acceptable for the masses. Right, right. But then at the same time, Ed Ed could watch it again and be like, "Wait a minute, I was like eight when I watched this." Should I? I don't think I should the, have. <laughs> would this this subject matter would have even have gotten it? Yeah. yeah. Um. So, but nah. like again, us talking about her bringing her up is not that she had this incredible career after this big. She really didn't. As we said, the biggest thing we can talk about is again something like called "She's the Sheriff," which was well uh, on on basic cable. Uh, uh, and then of course, I need to I, I need to connect this. So, oh, you, oh so, how are you going to connect this? I got a so literally. friend of mine, and I'm not, and you know, not not a really close friend of mine, but uh, you know, there's uh, friend of me. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, let me just tell the story. I'm shutting up right now. Uh, back in the early 2000s, I worked for a company called Crunch Fitness, but I was at the corporate office, and uh, eventually I transferred over into the IT IT department. Um, we had managed and absorbed uh, different gyms throughout the United States. The my I believe it was the Miami uh, um, uh, office. Should you be revealing all of this? Yeah, that's fine because they've been bought and sold, bought and sold so many times. We did not have a person running the IT, the, the, the computer department. The computers were really rather relatively new at the time, right? You know, and uh, my my immediate uh, manager, Glenn, um, who is. A mentor of mine, you know, I love the guy to death. Uh, he's a limey from Brixton, and uh, who came here as, and became a marine and ended up working uh, working with computers. And he's like, "Let me tell you, uh, I was in Miami. They sent me to Miami, and I I didn't have a place to stay. And uh, Sasha Mitchell." Sasha Mitchell, by the way, if you do not yeah, know, yeah. played, there, there. played by the, way, the crazy and, and cousin. You have to love that there's zero. There's been zero like the name Sasha Mitchell. And John was like, mm-hmm. yeah, so, I don't know who this on, person is. I don't is. need your commentary right now, okay? <laughs> uh, so, so Sasha Mitchell, who, who co-starred along with Patrick Duffy and Suzanne Summer in a little-known show. It's kind of like a reboot of the Brady Bunch um, show called Step by Step. He was the crazy cousin. And uh, like this, like when I when as you decided, hey, we're gonna talk about Suzanne Summers. I'm like, should I give Sasha a call because I have spoken to him on the phone, right? And uh, and I'm like, what a brat. <laughs> Well, Well, there's a part of me that goes, hey, you know, Sasha. Remember when we talked about that gym membership about 20 years ago? (laughs) Sasha, as unlikely that this will get to you, this this podcast will get to you. But if you do hear it, please give me a call. Let's talk about Suzanne Summers. Let's talk. Get on to our socials. So, uh, so yeah. I think you also buried the lead that Sasha was the replacement for Van Damme in the Kickboxer movies. Yeah, no one cares about that. Oh shoot! I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but love for you, Sasha. Nothing but love. Nothing but love for you, Sasha. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so like again, I'm not saying that you know we could. It, there was a hot minute where she was this ubiquitous presence, and I think that it also goes to the whole thing about the way pop culture and everything else has been in the world, which is that 
she could be a major star having mm -hmm. only starred in this fucking, like, you know, the Three's Company, which was a big hit, but then is like a lot of like 80s TV is one of these things where they squeeze the life have out you, of Have it. you ever seen that, uh, like the the made the made for TV movie? It was about like what happened during Three's Company. And they, oh, one from like E! Entertainment yeah, yeah, or something right, from right, years you ago. Know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. We like, it ends with- And that shows you, however, how much that like this show that was really a blip- and how much that that could make an impact back then, pre-internet and everything, where like she was on the show, John. That okay, yeah, it was a you know the show. I think it skipped. How, how, I think it skipped networks too. I think it went from like ABC to NBC, something like either yeah. or. Well, I mean, but wait, wait, and we would get to the point where it's just like, oh hey, America, want to stay in shape? <laughs> Remember me from Thigh Master? Like you'll buy not only fitness equipment, but you will buy medical advice from me because she eventually got into a lot of like hormone replacement therapy and stuff like she was one of these, like would always be on a talk show talking about it because she did look really, really good for and her And that's age. what I always get about cultural impact. And at the end of that, uh, any whatever production that they did, it's uh, whoever portrayed Suzanne Summers, at least you know, from a fictional point of view, she's sort of like, you know, just, down her luck. She has no idea what she's going to do. She quit the greatest job in the world. Um, and, and she's do they, like, do they fold in thigh master? Do they, and then someone the come that's with the them thing. and like put the thigh because master in front of her. I guess her, like, her, her agent the... had sent her these things and she's like, what am I going to? And then she, I think it was just like, you know, uh, a light bulb came on. I'm going to sell these on TV. And look, she made a fortune in the killing. She she absolutely it became absolutely the did. thigh master became a was cultural, a ubiquitous a ubiquitous thing. Like the thigh master and the thigh master and the garden weasel baby. Like that's your two. That's your one two punch. George Foreman grill. The four George Foreman grill. Well, yeah. Don't, well, don't forget about and it's all together. It all comes together because <laughs> what it is is that you you use the garden weasel mm. to cultivate your garden. <laughs> Put on the George Foreman grill to do to to they make your meals with the to George Foreman grill, which, which, which gives, which you, the gives you the energy to do the workout for the thigh master, and, and, and it just and becomes the cycle, cycle continues. continues. Genius. No, no, but another another uh, piece of equipment I think that came out late seventies, early eighties was the ab roller. The ab roller, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was a big again because she the fitness was a thing. She Jane Fonda, Jane right. Fonda, that sort of. Stuff. She Can't rolled about over buns of steel. The buns of steel. God was so. ooh. Was she buns of steel? She was not buns of steel. She was not. And very authoritatively, <laughs> she was not. She was, she I got to fact check that. What are we talking about here? Miguel? Anyway, anyway, I just again, I want to wrap this up. <laughs> um, I do think that there is something to be said about like how when you and I were growing up. Again, this is very much for a very specific kind of demo. That 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 she could make a lifetime grift almost <laughs> of this this appearance on this one show for three seasons between like 76 and 79 whatever yeah um and there is a you know there's a little bit of a sadness to that passing but and she also again there was this figure of you know both actual affection because people did love three's company as a show and then the parody of you know the sort of that post life of a celebrity now again now hawking this but still making bank like still, she was still being invited on the Larry Kings. You know, she was still being invited on the Oprah's. She was like, it's, it's a weird sort of like um, 
it's just it's just a weird sort of uh, uh, what do you call it? with the the uh, with minutia of of pop culture, you know. A girl's got to work. Girls got to work. Uh, I also we have to talk about uh, something closer to what this podcast stands for, which is nothing. We stand for nothing. <laughs> You've wasted your time, listener. Uh, another unfortunate passing um, was that of Keith uh, Giffen, who uh, John probably has no idea who this person is, but Keith Giffen uh, was a comic book writer and artist. Um, he began his career in the late seventies sort of blossomed through into the eighties. Notably, um, notably as a co-creator of some really important, um, characters, characters and Lobo, and, mm-hmm. Rocket Raccoon, uh, Blue Beetle, um, the new Blue Beetle. Well, not that he didn't create Ted Quarter. Not that, Ted that, Quarter. That, Jamie, same- Jamie Reyes. Oh, was he? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay. Well then I, uh, yeah, because he had handled uh, Ted Quarter in, in, and just, and then of course his biggest claims to fame are his work for, uh, Justice League, and then uh, Legion of Superheroes. Which we, in our conversation coming to the show here, it's like, you know, like, okay, so let me let me just, I'm going to paint a picture for you, Miguel, uh, uh, um, John. As we're driving towards, <laughs> we're driving down 4th Avenue, okay, driving towards a Prospect Expressway, we see a column of, of a cloud of smoke, a cloud, something that resembled like a small mushroom cloud, off yonder, um, going towards the city. And uh, this guy here, he's having this sandwich. He's like, you know, if we had- Well, no, wait, no. You were all like getting- a, <laughs> no, And I was like, so. You're like, what is that? That like, it's looking, like it was a very ominous looking, like I was concerned. that were I was coming concerned. down. And the way the world is, God knows. And I'm like, well, you know, if it was an explosion or something, we would have heard something. Yeah, we were saying. And it's so, like, turn on the radio, whatever. And as so I'm eating my little sandwich, I was like, you know, if we were super powered here. And I'm like, stop right there. If we were, if we were superpowered heroes, right? Because you know, thunderstick right, and Bootsy. Right, because no, because and then you were like, when I was like, yeah, because that's the truth. The truth the, of the matter the is, street leveled heroes. The street level hero like, is not like again. If you are, if you're Daredevil, and all you've got is your radar sense, when a tornado breaks out, you're doing jack shit, and you're gonna go. Well, I hope the Fantastic Four can handle that because and I, I just and here I am. I'm getting all really self righteous about it. Like, do you hear yourself? You're having a sandwich. There's no. Oh, what are what, 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 civilians? We we have to we have to think about the civilians. No, there's none of that. Right. I'm just, again. I'm just, now, that, right, in a microcosm. What we just did was the Justice League International was is in, in, in very a much Keith Giffen's approach. Keith given this approach to superheroes. The, like it's there's no superherodom. It's not anti superherodom. It's sort of just like they're just regular honestly, guys like Ed, you and my like, honestly like you, Ed, and, you and I are. We, we mentioned earlier in the show something that had must have had great influence from Giffen's Justice League. You're talking about the Venture yeah. Brothers. Oh, okay. The Venture Brothers' <laughs> approach to what they do is very much. I thought you meant Giffen's, ambush bug. <laughs> and that, again, same, but um, it yeah. very much is the approach of Justice League of Keith Giffen's Justice League International. Um, it's very much he sort of cut his teeth. Um, he did do a he did do a Defenders miniseries, um, and uh, with Kevin McGuire, which was sort of a a, a reconnection that, of the Justice. Is, wait, wait, hold on. Mm-hmm. And that is that that was in the two thousands. But he also was a part of the original Defenders from the from before he did odd. 
Uh, Which is not right. But it also is in line with that because what did you say? You said, well, he did both of those. And what does Justice League International and the Defenders have in common? They always said, what is the Defenders as compared to the Avengers or the X-Men? It's like the Defenders are sort of a therapy group of superheroes. (laughs) Like, seriously, they really are just like, like we kind of are working through our shit here. And occasionally we like fight bad guys. Well, the original Defenders, I mean, it's, it's, it's a grand idea, right? You like some of the. Superpowers of superpowers. Strange and Surfer and Namor and Hulk. Getting together. But Keith Giffen is coming on board when it's like Valkyrie (laughs) and Gargoyle (laughs) and Nimbus. And you know what I mean? Uh, And it was this sort of like he had. Now that tone, encounter group, therapy group, meet superheroes, was established in Defenders before he came on it. But he definitely runs with it. And then without a doubt, when he gets a chance to use to to take over Justice League, you know, with JM uh, DMT and Ken McGuire, it again, it is more about that and the superhero has become perfunctory. And I'm never gonna be against that uh, per se. It is a very the problem c- comes with this. It's not that Keith Giffen's work on that stuff is not good. It is really good. It's real funny. <laughs> and it has provided some of you and I's you call most it so, favorite. What did you call it? Like in the car, you said like a deconstruction. It was a comedic deconstruction. A comedic superhero, deconstruction right? of superheroes. And, you know, it definitely is, was this whole thing. And there's a reason why it is a team that is made up of like Blue Beetle and Booster Gold and the Martian Manhunter and not Superman, Batman, and I think it was different. Like now here's the thing. As a comic book collector in my youth, um, while I did sort of read it i wasn't like you know like all over it right because, because its focus was the comedy yeah. and it was again on top of that a- you couldn't even follow it because you go from justice league of america to justice league to formally known as well justice that's league, even you're, you're going over a 30 year period league, you're, you're, at the time, justice league international but like, the, i can't at, follow this anymore. At, at the time that was the thing and it was its own little mini universe inside of dc because mm-hmm. it was sort of like well you want to do this, whatever the whatever the pitch was, they it was obvious very specifically they were like, well, you're if this is what you're gonna do with Justice League as a title, you can't have Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, yada yada yada. Now, did you ever read Lobo? Yeah, Lobo. I, I'm not ever gonna. I, Lobo's never been my guy. I appreciate what it's supposed to be, but I do sometimes it has that feeling of a thing that got away from them. And I, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm a persnickety fucking fanboy, maybe at my core. And when you have these sort of things where it's always like, this guy can kick Superman's ass and it never turns out that way. I'm going to go like, well, you just want to say that about this character because for whatever. Yeah. Yeah, To get eyeballs, to be whatever, to be outrageous, or you don't like Superman, which goes along with that sort of like, oh, now you know why these things don't fucking work for DC because they spend more time. They spend, how can we, how come Superman's not working? (laughs) I don't know. Do we keep having a character come that we say is more powerful and can kick his ass, blah, 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 for, for, again, for clicks and eyeballs or whatever. And then that character is never going to have the cultural standing of Superman. So all you've really done is, you know. Now, now at one point he leaves, he uh, takes a break from comic books uh, and I, I learned about this in his Wikipedia, which is he took a break from comic book industry for several years, working on storyboards for television and film, which shows such as the real Ghostbusters. Yes. And Ed, Ed and Eddie. Yeah. Right? See, he had, he had. Oh, Ed and Eddie. Yeah. That's cool. And, yeah, he was, and he was a funny guy. That sort of material mm-hmm. appealed to him. Uh, comedy That's was a time. very much appeal. And then he comes back to comic books in the like the 2000s big time because he's a very much a big part of the in- Annihilation crossover. 
Well, Infinite, uh, Infinite Crisis also, um, among, amongst other things. Right, right. right. But um, more, like, and DC asked him back mm-hmm. to do, like, again, that, like, formerly known as Justice League stuff. But in terms of, like, serious stuff, he does end up being a big part of Annihilation, Annihilation Wave and all the rest mm-hmm. of that stuff, in which he gets to handle characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy and Silver Surfer and so on. And, so and I didn't realize this. Uh, Omak is a part of the new... Uh, Omak, I thought, was... Yeah, um, he didn't... He, uh, he wasn't part of the original OMAC. Creation. Again, that was that Infinite Crisis um, sort of like creating OMAC as the like henchman type bad guys that the heroes would fight for that story. And yes, he entered, you mm. know, that allowed, he also allowed to enter him to introduce stuff like because OMAC in Infinite Crisis had killed, remember, Ted Kord, that was the impetus to bring the formerly known as the Justice League characters into the story. And they believed that they had him handle those like portions when they were doing mm. stuff with that. So you had him with Power Girl and Guy Gardner and, you know, and Booster Gold. And one can say that, you know, his style of, uh, with, with the content that he, that, that he puts out, it's like, it's as if uh, Quentin Tarantino is doing comic books. It's a, way, a little you know? Quentin Tarantino. It's a, it's a little bit, it's a little bit in that Venture Brothers where we're doing, you know, like we're parroting, but we're also love this stuff. Mm. I do. I am going to blank. Go ahead and just say this. I re- always respected Keith Giffen's work. And there's no he's talented. He was re- and a funny, funny guy. The problem was, is that that essential, the most essential work he ever did, his his run on Justice League is a comedy, pure and simple. And. As much as I liked it and enjoyed it, and Ed, you and I, Fire and Ice, you know, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, there's great stuff, the characters that we loved up. He has, more, he has had more hand in developing, like, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter than anybody else, but it wasn't Justice League. It was a comedy book that had these superhero characters in it, but every time I'm, as a, as a fan, would be why, and eventually that became a, an issue with me buying the book, it was just like... I keep hoping you guys will be fucking superheroes at some so point. So this cover, instead, I'm holding up this cover, yeah. right? This is the, I'm, I'm sure it's the, uh, um, one of the, the collections. It's a group self. Uh, Justice League International. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, by Kevin McGuire. Um, yeah. uh, the Omnibus uh, Volume 1. And Batman is in the center and he's, he's sort of just, Lobo's in one corner. Uh, 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 you know, Oberon. Yeah. Uh, like Max Lord, you know, like, like this, none of this makes sense. Well, it's not, again, it's not straightforward superhero stuff. Yeah. And again, point it, you got to give him points for that. At the same time, it's not what I wanted out of Justice League. Like I was supporting that book, hoping at some point, it's like, you guys are actually going to around being like the fucking Justice League at some point. Right. And I am too, I am, can see both sides. One side where somebody's no, that's actually very brave and Hey, you know, kudos to these guys for being creative and saying, yeah, we're going to take Justice League. We're going to turn it into comedy and it's going to work and it's going to be good comedy. All of that is true. It's you do come against the wall of that. These things are not they're built on belief. And if you're a fan of that stuff, it's kind of hard. Like, well, why why, why are you asking for my money to support making fun of this thing? I like I almost feel like you're like this is a trolling thing. And at some point, I, and I do believe that that is exactly what happened. At some point, the, they, they were like, this is no way to build this fandom. And we, are, we have a thing called Justice League of America that has a legacy and a reputation and an expectation. You know, I think that 
for the comic book cognoscenti at the time in the 80s when this started, it was like, oh, yeah, man, it's kind of cool that you pick up Justice League. There's no Superman, no Batman, no Wonder Woman. But to the, every normie, that is who they think the Justice League is. So, of course, some kid, you know, who's the Justice League? Who's Superman? Just learning about it. Oh, okay. And then it's like, yeah, he's a part of the team. It's called the Justice League. Oh, oh, so, whoa, so Batman is with Superman? Oh, yeah, I got to read this. And you pick it up, and it's Guy Gardner taking ice to a porno theater on for their, a on date. And you start going, no, yeah, there's, you are, you are, there are limits to, I, I, I honestly believe there are limits to how creative you can be with certain things. You have to always color inside the line for some stuff. That's how part of all of this fan outrage does happen. And a lot of it is bullshit. At the same time. What we're what we're talking about here with what he does at Justice League is similar to what our issues are with Feige's stewardship of of Marvel, where it became what's good for the joke, not what's good for making this a cool superhero thing. I'm I'm glad you bring that up. So here's my question: Is like, uh, would you have gotten a James Gunn without Giffen? without the, right? So no, and that's probably not. Yeah. At this point, um, you know, uh, Gunn is cleaning house and. Uh, but at the same time, there's, uh, you know, because the, the 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 strike, which, by the way, we're going to get into later, um, that's causing some more um, Ed, wheels you, in a uh, you, you, you hit monkey wrenches. No, no pun intended. You hit something very, very good. If you think about Gunn's Suicide Squad movie, his approach, his cynical everything approach, about, everything about that screams Keith Giffen's right. style of DC. Yeah. Very, very much, which which is the problem why I'm not too happy about what Gunn's going to deliver. I mean, it's not to because say that. Because if Gunn is going to deliver, his, if his Superman legacy is going to basically be kind of sort of Justice League International, and I could see it because he literally has Guy Gardner in it being played by, by our well, man I'm Nathan Fillion. Ah! What comes to mind for me is uh, is because everything starts with Peacemaker, right? For um, As far and as that the, show, the again. nucleus of Gunn's approach to DC, right? Which is like, oh, you know what? No one really knows his characters. Let's do something with him. Peacemaker was a hit, you know? And it's good in the same way with Justice League International. Mm. The stuff I saw from Peacemaker was really good. Actually, very, 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 very funny. And, you know, um, done with a somewhat lovingest kind of take on DC stuff, but also was willing to like do, do again, have the Justice Every, League show up and have them be the butt of a joke. And that's right? that last scene, which is like, everything comes to that last scene where it's like- In wait, one episode, not the last and, scene, oh, but yeah, in yeah, the episode. In the, in the, in the, um, it's, it's like a final scene in that episode where uh, the Justice League finally his, come yeah. and Peacemaker goes- where have you assholes where, been? Yeah, where have you assholes been? Right? You assholes are later. Something like that. It's this whole, you know, it's a whole big joke of like, this was a situation where you definitely needed the Justice League for whatever reason they weren't around. Peacemaker and his boys handle business at the end, but they come out of it really worse to wear. It's like they look like they've been through hell. And then as they're kind of walking off in victory with like this little girl in his arm, they've, they've saved it. They've been the big bad heroes. Suddenly, ba 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 there you see the Justice League, the Batmobiles in the background, Superman's floating. You see like the silhouette of Wonder Woman and they actually get Momoa to be Aquaman and Ezra, and Ezra <laughs> Miller to be the Flash. And he marches by them and, you know, they're like, you assholes are later, some shit like that. It's funny. It it works. I'm not saying it. it it's not. But that is Keith Giffen mm. sort of like, oh, see, the heroes are all just big fucking jokes. And 
I'm not against that as a as a as an intellectual point of view for both comedy or entertainment. But how can you build your brand off of that? <laughs> Look, I understand the Wonder Woman being late, Batman being late. How can you flick the Flash? How is this Flash and Superman late? Thank you. Well, yeah. How? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, again, I can I understand the point of view where you're <clears throat> writing a story like that where you say like these guys are always handling ten thousand other things, so of course they can't be around for everything, and maybe the guys that do handle that are going to be resentful about that situation where it's kind of like, but, but, you know, where, where again, and Superman's just going to go, uh, dude, I was diverting a fucking like asteroid from like planet Earth. Like, like the only reason you're here to complain to me is because I took a handled business. So, you know, kudos that you did your job. But you know, at the same time, again, I'm not sure that is how you build the brand of the belief yeah, in yeah. these characters. Uh, so Keith Giffen has always had this sort of like, Incredibly talented guy, great writer, very creative. When he would put his mind to things, he really reimagined these things in a very – I didn't agree with his conclusions about a lot of stuff. But he put the time and the effort into his work. His stuff with Legion of Superheroes was like that again where it was just like here's this very, very fantastical thing. Like it's his instincts were always counter to what I would have wanted. But I can't deny the quality he put into it. What was he doing with Legion? Legion of Superheroes, as you all know, was this whole thing where it was this bright future of the DC universe. It's basically basically this sort of like, hey, a thousand years in the future, what Superman and his pals do in the current age reverberates so strongly that basically – it's a sort of the, a UN for teenagers in the future where all the like we were inspired by the superheroes of the past and from every different culture and different alien species out there. We're going to come together as a veritable legion of superheroes in this very Star Trek The Next Generation. Everything's been solved. Utopia future where, you know, it's just like outside threats. We, you know, we don't have to worry. And of course... What's the creative thing to do with that? Some would say is then you turn it on its ear, right? Like that, like how much mileage can we get out of this? Where, you know, we've been doing this for 40 years now and like every sort of let's do something different. So it was this sort of like there's a seedy belly under underneath and oh, there's been a evil conspiracy that's actually been working in the background for all these years. And there's nothing that goes all the way back to, to the 20th century and there's nothing that can ever be done and the future's going to be shitty no matter what, blah, blah, blah. It was well done. Keith Giffen's writing and the other people we had on it was well. But you can't take something that was basically built off the idea. Why did you love Religion of Superheroes? Because it was a bright, future, optimistic, fun thing. And turn it into that. It can be well done and still not what you want. It doesn't make it bad. It just means that it it doesn't really fit the thing that you're doing it with. <clears throat> um and Keith, but this is the this is the thing. I'm not saying also that that hasn't yielded stuff, as we said. Like you know, look if we if they're ever going to do a boot like Ed, wouldn't you if you were if you were told that tomorrow they're like, hey, we're going to do uh, two two streaming shows on on uh, on on Max. We're going to call one Blue and Gold, and we're going to call the other one Fire and Ice. And it's going to be about Booster Gold and Blue Beetle and Fire and Ice having wacky fun adventures. You and I would eat that with a spoon. <laughs> No problem because we love those characters. We love who they we we love the the one idea he always had was to take those underdog characters and push them to the forefront and give them a lot of development and other things. Like I said, if without him, 
all of the stuff that we think of of the modern version of Martian Manhunter just doesn't exist. Mm. He's the guy that takes that and says, this is all very, very cheesy 1950s stuff. Let me put a lot of even more pathos into this. Let me make this really interesting and develop also John as a character, not only tragic, but comedically that John could become then a fun, funny character. And that is interesting, like in order to uh, to push forward the, the 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 creative structure of things, you have to sort of like just tear it apart. At sometimes you do. Sometimes yeah, you, you do. know. So, I, but my disagreement with this is only this: I do, while I am the first one to say that you probably this is more franchise stuff, anything folklore, anything where a large audience has taken this thing into their heart and have very sometimes narrow prescriptions of what he's, can and can't be He's getting into with. the Joseph Campbell-ness <laughs> no, no, no. of superhero I think, I think that, I do think you have to color inside the lines. Superman has to be Superman to a certain degree. If you, cr- if you cross over, it's not going to be it anymore. It won't be Superman. That said, I do think that the shading of the coloring can vary wildly. You have to maintain a structure of who this is. There are things, there are things that you're going to do with Superman or Batman or any of these characters that I will go, nope, that's 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 outside of the conception of this character. But that doesn't mean you can't go darker or lighter with how you are coloring it. Well, I think uh, nowadays uh, there's a little bit of cheating because, uh, like, I, I just, I, you're doing something with Super Jonathan Kent or whatever like this. There's a, um, a, a non-binariness to him, or they're well in the comics. I don't even know if that's even and still current. That's the thing. Honestly. A lot of the a lot of these content creators now they're 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 going. Oh, we're not changing Superman. We're we're taking their offspring, and it's completely something different. Which and we're is doing something else. Which Ed Earth One, Earth Two, Earth Three, Earth Five, Earth Seven, Eighth. I like that. That's been going back. Remember, so Adventures of the Super Sons mm. and shit like that from like. World's finest in the 70s, where it's like, well, here is a world where Superman has a son and Batman just happens to also have a son. And but that's not not to be confused with the world where Batman has a has daughter. A <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like again, so like the idea that there's all of these various, you know, incarnations, that's that's fine, which is okay and fine with again what Keith Giffen did. Like it is, I get why he's influential. I get why his approaches to things, but I do think that he was sort of the beginning of a lot of times these companies sort of doing things that undermine the product that they were creating. And while what was yielded might have still been good quality work, it ultimately did undermine a lot of what, like what they're selling. You know what I mean? You're selling a belief in these characters and anything that undermines that is always good. And Keith Giffen was of an era. He's not the only one at DC, but he certainly contributed to the sort of overall thing that weakened the the belief in these characters. And at the end of the day, that is the only thing that's getting people to hand their money over is the belief in the character. Because you can live without a comic book or a movie or a TV or show or, or, or a video game. You are only handing that money over, you know, because you believe in it on some level. You need to have this as a part of your life because you believe in it. Anything that undermines that at some point is going to reverberate back down to your, to your bottom line, because if people don't believe ain't going to hand over the dollars. 
I know that that sounds really <laughs> negative of, of like of like well, Keith Giffen and his legacy oh, because wow, the guy has done a lot. And I'm not. And I, and I would never, Ed. I would never tell anyone not to read his stuff. His that Defenders miniseries is hilarious, and 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 the art is amazing. Oh yeah, right? absolutely. McGuire. Any if you read any collected versions of his his and Jam uh, Jam Dimite and Gerard Jones's run on Justice League, it's fantastic in terms of how funny it is, but also how really well thought out it, it is in terms of the superhero stuff that he is, the ultimate like round robinness of like everything that he introduced in the first few issues of his run of that is the stuff you're dealing with by the end of his run still on some level uh, in interesting and, and diverse ways. I mean, like the truth is he's kind of was always pissed off that they kind of turned Max Lord into a legit bad guy. But his whole first like storyline was basically this idea of, oh, I've introduced Max Lord, and then at the end, oh, maybe he really is a bad guy. He isn't at the end, but still. Um, he, sound, he sounds like a guy that liked to blur the lines between what is good and what is evil and hero and, and villain. I, well, I think... Like more, he wanted to keep, keep that ambiguous. I think it was more a reaction of the fact that the comic books that he grew up in, given his age... Too, mm-hmm. too goody, too shit. It was too much. It was too straightforward and very flat. And so he used a humor, a large part, and also he was of that that generation of the first of these guys who, like, I grew up with the Silver Age stuff and probably also found some back issues and stuff, you know, with the Golden Age. And now I'm being allowed to write and create for the industry I- itself and bringing a lot of, like, that, like, you're a fan, but no, more you're a fan, and so you have a different view than just approaching this as a straightforward thing. You have the thoughts of, hey, what does, you know, and also like, hey, what's the, you've done thinking about it as a fan. Oh, By the way, hey, it's, I think it's worth, what, 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 what if there are two superheroes in the middle of, of traffic and tornado breaks out, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> what it's, would their conversation be? Oh, well, it depends. Does one have powers or not? I think it's worth fact checking, fact, fact checking if Max, if the whole Max Lord turning evil was all his, you know, uh, that. No, because- no, 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 no. That, again, I'm, I'm saying that in his original run of Justice League. Mm-hmm. Max Lord is introduced at first. He's like, he's just a, yeah, he's no one. First he's a, like, Oh, he's a eighties yuppie kind of scumbag Correct. kind of caricature. And then you find out, Oh no, you're really being controlled by some sort of a pot, a so computer from apocalypse. And then that's cleared up. And then when you get to the end mm. of it, it is a whole thing of no, wait a minute is Max was really evil all along. Right. And, and because, so on and so forth. because it's been pretty significant, like the moment from the moment, Spoiler Wonder, alert, he's from not. the Wonder Woman, <laughs> from the, from the point Wonder Woman snaps his neck, everything changes from there. Well, that's actually after what that I'm is, talking about. That is cr- that's correct. That is way after. after and right? so, but therefore, he was the guy who first introduced the idea of Max Lord. The Wonder Woman neck snap thing was just like, what if we stuck with that? What if instead of, oh, hey, it was a clone. Oh, he was being mind controlled. They were like, no, what if we just went with that? Then- and I think without that, you wouldn't have gotten these these nonsensical conversations about like, no, Batman killing in the movies. Like, no, that's not my Batman. And like, oh, whatever. I mean, yeah, okay, um, okay. I, I, I do think that I will never tell anyone not to go through his material. Uh, because he was really, really tough. Batman was killing. Was killing people. Anyway, I will never tell anyone not to not read any of Bill uh, Keith Giffen's stuff um, because you're going to get a lot out of it. And also it's at this point, a little foundational. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff in it that is going to be 
probably seen going forward, given the fact, again, that James Gunn, as you said, is, you know, using Guy Gardner and, you know, that is the era of, you know, the filmmakers who are going to be taking the inspiration stuff for information to make this are people our age, Ed. And again, they're, they're, they weren't like silver age kids. They were bronze and early eighties, mid eighties. I mean, dude, like you're going to tell me that uh, uh, Nathan Fillion doing this sort of like, you're going to make something of it. He's a yes. scowl. He's a scowl you, looking up with, something of it, with, you know? with what we call the West Side Story shot. <laughs> it is. It's the West Side Story from, from boy, boy, <laughs> crazy, that, they, that they end that shot with. Um, uh, okay. So let's, um, you know. Transition over into. Uh, I guess a little bit of silence, um, you know. Well, yes. A moment of silence, moment of, of silence. course, it's, oh, for, for both uh, Suzanne Summers and uh, Keith Giffen. Uh, rest in peace. And when we come back, we will, after these words with friends, we will continue with some talk about uh, Marvel's uh, streaming uh, cleanup. And then after and that, will be Ahsoka and uh, a Fright Night comparison discussion. To Be Continued Fanboy Podcast was also sponsored by Pancake Studios. You know, To Be Continued Fanboy Podcast, we were born here at Pancake Studios. And for the past five years, we have called this place home. Pancake Studios has come a long way from offering just audio services. They now offer Dolby Atmos and surround sound mixing, video recording, production and engineering, a full range of photography servers, and sound design. It is your one-stop shop media production services. Go to pancakestudios.net. Orphan Guitars. Local friend of the show, Alex, who works at Orphan Guitars, can help you find out what you're looking for, whether vintage or the right musical equipment for your needs. Brand names from Fenders to Gibsons, electric guitars, basses, guitar amps. Just head over to 493 Court Street at OrphanGuitars.com. You know, John, they've also helped with the community making donations to local soup kitchens in the past. Brooklyn's coolest guitar shop. That's OrphanGuitars.com. <laughs> And we're back. <laughs> We've been done <laughs> at our rendezvous. Hey, I'm glad that this company. I'm too. glad that the writer strike is over, so we so we can so we can present the audience with this A level material, huh? <laughs> and yet the actor strike, the actors strike, rages on. Yeah, a little. We're have a little to talk about the fact that. Um, we have a we you know the the WGA strike has been resolved more or less, mm-hmm. but that we still have an actors uh, a SAG strike. Now will will the writers now go back on strike to support in solidarity the actors? Because <laughs> that isn't that what kicked off the actors a, strike a, was to be in solidarity well, with here's the writers. The, uh, I forget who's saying what. I don't know whether you said uh, no. Maybe this will resolve pretty soon. My again, my neighbor who is um, is a teamster. Uh, who she her job is she drives um, actors she drives uh, screen actors around right you know and she knows Jimmy Hoffa you know what I don't know whether Where, she may know someone who knows someone if knows Jimmy Hoffa was actually buried at Giant Stadium I don't know somehow so for whatever <laughs> all we're saying is that Ed has long suspected her of the murder even though she was not born <laughs> when it happened now that said I I was like hey Jesse you know uh, looks like 
uh, the writers are, are going back to work, and she's like, "Yeah, but did you hear? This was going. This was two two weeks ago. The executives uh, uh, walked away from from the table for the actors, yeah. and she's like, it, it's likely that I'll be out of work till next year. I mean, that's been yeah. a long time. You know, right. I mean, from it's I do, been a long time. I do, I do again. I I think because of that, I think everyone does want. I do think that they're probably going to settle with the actors." Uh, it, it won't. It won't be nearly as long. It won't be nearly as long. But it does. It has thrown a monkey wrench into a ton of 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 things that are in the works. Hey, look! I want to take this opportunity right now. Anyone listening? My name's Jonathan Vergara. I'm an engineer. It's time to go on engineer strike. TVC is <laughs> great. I'm not talking about TVC, but I did. I did start working for a television uh, network. Mm. I don't know if I told you guys. Okay. Should I say it on air? I don't know. Should I say I, it on I, air? I, 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 I literally is this, the, is this the one on BET? I'm David. Get, I'm, uh, I'm Keith David. No, I'm no. I'm announcing um, for BET. No, I don't want to get everyone in trouble. No, yes. Let's my, not get anyone in trouble. Show. Yes. But, but uh, the engineers could be paid more. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. All these, well, that's all that matters to you. You're, you were like, it was like, it started out like strong, like, like the strong union like thing, and it was like, I'm just saying, you know. Just, well, I mean, it seems as if you know, it. as as a result, a lot of things are being pushed, right? Um, you and I, all of us here, were consumers of content, and uh, you know, uh, I just finished the Beckham. The Beckham documentary yes, on yes. Netflix, and, you know, and keeps going on about how I just don't have shit to watch, <laughs> and for the and I need things to come. I back. rewatched The Pacific. I rewatched uh, Band of Brothers, you know, and look, there's going to be a lot of that going hey. into the future. Uh, Gen V, Gen V is pretty uh, good. The spinoff from uh, The Boys. It's oh, pretty it? good. Okay, all right. I, well, you've we been pushing it. me, pushing me, uh, me to watch uh, uh, Adam Eve. Oh, the special the, the, for the, the special, special that came out for, and right. then, and then that we do have Invincible yeah, dropping Invincible. on November eighth. I do propose in the f- near future we do a Gen V show because I'll be able to participate. Well, we'll have to <laughs> cover the the boys first. Well, yeah, we never did a boys. We never did yeah, because I'm not a fan. I'm not like crazy about it. But you guys go ahead. I'm not. I'm not a, a crazy I have a fan. I watch it. I'm just not a crazy fan. See, season one was okay. Season two. Honestly, I'm thinking of going on strike. No. No. <laughs> I'm no, thinking of going on strike. No. I think I'm, I'm thinking of going on strike. By the way, I'm, I'm doing the Harold Ramis thing. No, <laughs> no, don't. No. <laughs> um. So what we have is is that there's been a lot of effects on stuff. Stuff has been pushed back for us, like you said. Mm. Um, Andor. Um, the fact that Marvel has now, you know, on top of what we're going to get into their, you know, possibly Kevin Feige sort of cleaning house on um, their streaming services. Born again, you know, for Daredevil. Yeah, I I don't even know what the what the story the the clear story on that. Well, is. what uh, what I've been reading is is that, um, and this allows us to I think to just go into the whole Feige is going to, you know, clean house on their their streaming service. There were for that Born Again show, and there had scripts that had already been approved and written, and you know, so in other words, we're ready to get into production, and now. You have the fact that the writers' oh, guilds the, the, has pushed back, and now, and actors, and I think maybe Kevin Feige is using this as a opportunity to say, "Hey, I can really rejigger all of our streaming shows and not have it be too bad for us because 
we were on a delay anyway. <clears throat> I can't delay it any more cleaning house than these these strikes are going to delay what I'm doing. And rightly so, Ed. I mean, do you I mean like I think you and I have both been talking about how for quite some time. This is not a recent thing. This is goes back a few years at this point. The the streaming television show unit for Marvel under Feige, not Netflix. We're not talking about that era. We're talking about once they got the, they were starting to do streaming shows on Disney Plus with Marvel characters under Kevin Feige's direct involvement, with the Kevin Feige's direct involvement. And I'm sorry, I don't think that they, that only, crop has been good. There's only a couple of Marvel shows on Disney Plus I think I know what you're referring to. Okay. You're referring to the Samuel Jackson show. Well, Ed, 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 was, not well, ha- I, Ed, I Ed was not happy with the Samuel Jackson. But look, again, I, I wasn't happy with WandaVision. I Secret, wasn't happy. Secret Wars. I yeah. wasn't happy with, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I wasn't happy with She-Hulk. Now, now the only thing about the Rwanda show is that... Um, the Rwanda did you say show? Rwanda show? <laughs> the show about that superhero <laughs> from Rwanda? Wait, whoa, whoa. Star, starring, starring War Machine. War right, Machine was, was a Rwanda. Yeah, hotel, right. So War Machine, Don hotel, Cheadle. Hotel Rwanda, Wanda Vision. Rhodey comes to Rwanda and he just hotel, cleans house. Hotel Rwanda Vision. Hotel Rwanda Vision. That's, yeah. Thank you. You're Thank genius. you, guys. I, I, did, I did plant that idea in your head. <laughs> no, what was I about to say? Oh, yeah, but the thing about the uh, Wanda Vision... I will give them credit for at least trying something new. Maybe they didn't execute it that good, yeah. but it was brave of them to, to yeah, try to, a show to do like that. any of these things. Is is but that but, overall the quality's got to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do not think Secret that, Wars, man. Yeah, that was yeah. That again, was this was you that know was Secret botched. Invasion yeah. was not what it was needed to be. Neither was there was just so much of Have it. Have you seen it? I mean, honestly, on this guy, based off this guy, I was just like, I'm not even bothering. Yeah. But that's not also just because Ed told me. It is because Falcon and the Winter Soldier was so lackluster. She-Hulk was so lackluster. I wasn't a fan. Like, there are people, and unfortunately, of course, what is also happening is, is we get now the outrage factory of the online social media world where, you know, you had a lot of people who were invested in these projects not having the best reception because, oh, we want to be anti-woke. Oh, you have women. These suck because, Miss Marvel sucked because it was about a Pakistani, like, teenage girl. No, Miss Marvel sucked because the writing was bad. It yeah. had nothing to do with whatever the characters Speak, in lead. But what could they do? It was during the writer's strike, right? Well, that's what no, now. No, it was before. It was, it was before. before, yeah. Well, I mean, now what we have is, like, I do think he's looking at it as, like, okay, since things are going to be pushed back anyway... How can I remake? Because I don't think the general reception for most of the shows that they've had have been mixed to 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 poor for a while now. This isn't like a case of like like oh we get to we we by the time we got to season three of The Mandalorian, right? Ah, uh, we already had you know Andor was recent and people enjoyed it. People had enjoyed the two seasons of Mandalorian. You know, like there were, you could point to things where you could, you're like, oh, yeah, I, got. I don't know. With 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 the Marvel streaming product, it's been on a slide for a no, while. No well, it's for a sequel for any of these shows. There obviously has to Not be. Not a lot of them, no. I mean, if I, if I were Kevin Feige, like you'd have to come back to some kind of formula, right? You know, because it's all about getting 
putting seats, putting putting asses in seats. You know, at the Being end of the day, better at their building towards those events. Right. And now, I just found that, found out about this uh, yesterday. Apparently, in one of these new one of these new the Marvels promos, Carol Danvers says, "You know, I brought a friend," and you see uh, kind of something that resembles a Bifrost. You know, um, and that's not to say that you know, oh, maybe maybe a little Thor, maybe a little Thor in it. You know, and that's the thing. It's like because it's while it's tracking at something. Uh, something decent, but not huge, awfully huge numbers. Um, and that's the thing. Like Marvel has to come back to these formulas. And of- not, not only that, like that, I think that does show you. I do think that it, it, that that is a case of people having. I mean, Ed, we're a month away from the Marvel. Ed, Ed, what was the previous thing that they put out? Was it Quantumania? Was Quantumania the uh, last Loki? Lo- Loki, see, it's Loki. No, no, no. It's but on, I'm thinking in theaters. Oh, in oh, theaters. theaters. I think Quantumania. Yeah. They've, you know, and what we had Eternals before that. It's not that they haven't made money, but no one is as enthused. And again, mm-hmm. unfortunately, I do think there's too much of this. Like it's because it's woke. It's like no, it's because just, uh, was just poor. Oh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Love they, and Thunder. I think it was also Love and something Thunder and Guardians of the Galaxy. Galaxy now, Galaxy of the Galaxy Volume Three, which I think it did well. Uh, did decently. And, and, right. Did decently. Um, but even that again was not like. This triumphant return of like Marvel Uberalls, and it's it's so I've been seeing on the internet that apparently October seventeenth, which was yesterday, is the day that Tony Stark died. You know, when he is a day that okay. he actually snaps. Are we are we really celebrating that? No, but I'm just saying that like there's something really significant. Like They're you know, like it, yeah. I think I think I think those who are working at the, with the, at the MC are like you know what? Remember the days. Remember the days? Remember uh, 2018? Yeah, you remember 2018? That was a good. Time, I find right? myself, um, you know, YouTubing reactions to that time when the portals open mm-hmm. and Captain America was about, you know, le- leads the the high Avengers. point of superhero cinema, maybe of all time. And then within several years, I mean, for a lot of reasons, COVID being one of them, it's like there's just been a decline, right? You know, but. There was a time when you and I were yeah, like sitting said, next we were, to each we other. We were like two girls at a Beatles concert. And we held hands. It was just, oh my God, and I can't believe we're And that's, the, that's sort of like the goal, the end goal. And of like I think that, that uh, for whatever reason, this, this, this era of post-Endgame Marvel mm. has been mired in... And and an intentional, like, and I get of like, let's be funky. Let's be a little different. Let's be a little weird. I don't think it's yielding as much like i get that impetus and it's good to do those things and some of these like it's like not everything has to be the end of the world you can just do fun little quirky stories nothing wrong with that but there is a lack of focus uh you know and there's also way 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 too much leaning on comedy bullshit to cover up the fact that you don't have any good superhero ideas I'm sorry. I just, you know, point blank. Like, hopefully you know, they're they're coming back with Daredevil with a more serious tone, like it was on Netflix. Uh, hopefully the pun. I don't know if they're continuing the Punisher. I would not be surprised if if we would see Punisher. But that that would know, balance out back. That you know, cute. I I and I and I think that they yeah. have to start yeah. looking to, like to 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 deliver the something story, really yeah. different. You know, um, the the so the showrunner Stephen Knight uh, he. X tweets something out there um, 
on October 16th, apparently. It's like, I'm not happy that the show is scrapped and have consistently stated the opposite. What? However, I am delighted that they finally realized that you act, you need an actual showrunner who's a writer to make a series work. And that's just, that's just a, a response to the complete production overhaul on Disney's Daredevil Born Again. Um, now, this guy, he's uh, he was a showrunner on Netflix's uh, Daredevil. Daredevil, yeah, that's right. right. You know, so um, and I think there there there's a concern, but at the same time, I think for 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 you and me, well, it's, why would they shake things up for, for people that ran it successfully? Ran a good they, no, show. but see, no, they he ran no he a, no. What he's the person he was quoting was the was the but he had not been brought back. No, to yeah, to do saying. to do, and you're saying why didn't they just hire him back? I agree. Um, like I understand shaking things up at a at a show that's not working, like. Secret invasion. I, uh, but why would they? Why would they? Get I think rid that of I think I think the difference is that that when they team. got when they got back the rights to do Daredevil and they didn't just do an automatic like well whoever produced you know that the last season was so good is because of this whole like when is this going to be when are we going to get the rights to do this oh COVID so it wasn't an automatic <laughs> like let's just get back the, those guys because those are the people may have had contracts for other things that would not allow them to work on a new Daredevil show. You know, at, during the, you know, you know, well, not just uh, just as simple like, hey, my I've got the key guys who are the producers and 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 showrunners that we had on that, the, the, you know, the whatever the EP, so on and so forth. They're on doing something else. Like um, we can't like they. Th- oh, when is the new Daredevil coming back? We don't know. Well, I'm getting another job because yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. So that's the, I think later, that I think yeah. that's more the yeah. reason why they didn't bring those people back. That <laughs> said. What we have is a case of with this sort of like Kevin Feige coming in and obviously rethinking things for their streaming. They were all the people they had chosen to do Born Again for Daredevil were pretty far along. They had scripts that had been approved by Disney and Marvel. They were on they were ready to pull the trigger on starting production. And now we're starting Mm. from scratch because that means you don't you're not using those scripts. You're not you have to come up again with wherever you're going to exactly uh, I don't know how ma- uh, you know, like how credible this is. Uh, movie web. I don't. This is not okay. Major trade. Wonder <laughs> Man. Wonder Man's been scrapped. A lot of uh, you know? a lot of things have been pushed back that were very highly. There was going to be a brand new X Men cartoon that was going to be a continuation of the nineties cartoon oh, man. that they were going to br- like like any storylines they didn't clean up that they were going to bring and now that's been. So it's like there's obvious like some real rethinking by Kevin Feige. And I hope he does realize that you. But a lot of things, but a lot of things are still in the can, like um, uh, Deadpool 3, right? Which. Well, hasn't hasn't been finished. Hasn't been finished. A lot of, a lot. I mean, we've seen Hugh Jackman in the suit and in in production. um, Because, look, you put out Deadpool 3 and you say. Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman's in this. Money, money, money. Also, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe maybe Taylor Swift is in, is in this as Dazzler. Like, who knows? Like, that's printing money right there. You know. Um, I don't know. And like, is that, you didn't look is that happy just your, about that? No, no. I'm just. I'm just like. Is that just your like? Like you're like. No, this is the way we get make money. That's his pitch. Is that is that your pitch? Because by the way, it's not a bad pitch. <laughs> it is not a bad pitch at all to say, hey, as a joke. We'll have Deadpool say some bullshit about, you know, Taylor Swift as Dazzler. Oh, we just, we don't, we need five seconds of footage of Taylor Swift in the full 1970 Dazzler <laughs> outfit. Fine. Um, I, I, I just think that this is a case of, 
he is obviously rethinking things and it does need to be rethought. I just hope that they don't double down on bullshit. I had, I can honestly say that I could totally see them going like, no, 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 more cringe dad jokes, a lot less thinking about what this means as a superhero story because we just, we you know, that's what people remembered. The Marvel formula was jokes, so we got to make them jokey again. I mean, the simple fact that, like, we've we've heard that, like, it's Sam Raimi apparently is in the running for their Secret Wars directorial. Yeah, 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 yeah. No! No? I like Sam, but no! Sorry! You don't know. Nah, nah look, know. and I, dude, remember, I'm I'm the one of the two of us that that like enjoyed <laughs> the Spider Man. No, um, um, uh, not the Spider Man, the Doctor Strange movie he did. Okay, my only problem with the Doctor Strange movie he did was again was as what was with that like ultra cartoony like color palette and like the ha- the hair pieces on people, I all the rest know. of that stuff. Like, well, but even with that, and I like that movie. I don't think he should be the guy who should do Secret Wars or be like given this sort of like, like what if that's just to me, it feels the same way. Like, let me put it this way. I'll know the MCU is fucking over. The MCU will be fucking over when Tim Burton gets a film. <laughs> when Tim Burton gets a mo- an Let's MCU see. movie, Johnny, Johnny it's Depp is going to be over. Yes. Johnny Depp is going to be who? Well, of course, I'm the, so, I'm the Beyonder. Uh, what's that? Uh, I could see him as Gambit too. Yeah, but yeah, a seventy-year-old Gambit. Seventy. <laughs> Seventy. He's, he's he's old. He's, he was, he's old. He he's was old. a man when we were kids. <laughs> when we were teenagers, he was already well into his twenties. And yeah, no, you 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 cannot have yeah, a teetering yeah, yeah. on seventy year old gambit, John. No, no, no. Uh, right. Do we have anything else to cover for news? I don't think no, so. Aside yes, from the fact do. that uh, there are like a gazillion Walking Dead shows yes. that are available to you now. Yeah, yeah, but I don't necessarily want to talk about it. But we need to do a moment of silence for uh, Michael King. Yesterday he announced that he is officially oh. retiring from acting. Do you realize I'm not dead? Yeah, exactly. A moment, of si- a, moment of a moment of silence for Michael Caine's career. What's this bloke talking about? Johnny Depp seventy, Michael Caine's ninety. Well, well, well you, right. you, do you want to do you want to know why he had to quit, John? Because I'm ninety years old. I'm ninety years old. No, no, he had. I couldn't bury anymore <laughs> because I couldn't <laughs> anymore. Batman, bury that Batman. I've buried, Don't want to do it. I've- Master Wine. I've buried 25 Batmans over the last 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any more room in my backyard. That last one, the last Batman buried, was only 17. Only 17. <laughs> it's only a child. And then when he gets older, the others, the cigars it's, and the brandy. And the brandy. Is he, is he, is he, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, all right. My back's not what it used God to be. God bless you. God bless you, Richard Brydon. I can't, and be, I can't be digging all them. Coogan. I can't be digging all them graves for fat men again. We're all doing horrible, by the way, fucking Michael Caine. the worst Michael Caine. By the way, I'm not dead. There are two things in this world I can't, I can't, I can't stand. Dead. People are unto- intolerant of other cultures and the Dutch. And the Dutch. <laughs> the Dutch. No, the goat, you should have gone. There's only two things in the world I can't stand. The concept of death. <laughs> And the Dutch. And the Dutch. (laughs) We'll be back after these words from friends. I love our logo. No, really. I love our logo. The To Be Continued Fanboy Podcast logo was provided to us by friend of the show, Matt Silkowski, who also runs MSD Studios. And what does Matt do at MSD Studios? He provides 
positive reinforcement for your brand. Located in Philadelphia, Matt has worked with clients of all sizes and has helped them to focus on designs for campaigns, rebrands, and new brands. Get in touch for your next project, MSD Studios. That's msdstudios.com. Freddy's Bar, a Brooklyn local institution located at 652 Fifth Avenue, Park Slope, Brooklyn. If you're thirsty and if you're looking to support local artists and musicians, come on over to Freddy's or check them out at freddysbar.com. Now, Johnny, you and I, we've played gigs there, right? Yeah. And they've got a whole back room full of live entertainment. So after a long week at working from home during these times, close up and come hang out with your buddies at Freddy's Bar. That's freddysbar.com. All right. So um, this is something I've been wanting to get to for some time. I was not in this movie. Who's that? Who are you doing? Michael Kite. You're doing Michael, Michael Kite. I'm not in this movie at all. They wanted me to be some sort of some vampire, vampire slayer. Vampire killer. Some vampire killer. killer. I said, I said, where are we filming it? And they said, Burbank. I'll be burying a lot of vampires. And he to said, tell you that much. He said, he said, I'm the guy that burns Batman. I don't <laughs> no, burn vampires. No vampires. Vampires, you can't it's really very bury. similar. I understand. It's a moment but, when you when you kill him with the stake. Hey, ask Roddy what he's up to. <laughs> <laughs> Again, terrible, terrible Michael Keynes. Um, This is something I've been wanting to do for a while. It's both a film that has always been very uh, deep to my heart and has a very strong cult following. And also it was, uh, as some would say, was the victim of rebooting. And uh, I wouldn't describe it that way because uh, the reboot film of this from 2011, I actually hold in some pretty high esteem. I actually enjoyed it a lot considering how much I enjoy um, the cult original. But... Today, we're going to do a little deconstruction of Fright Night 1985 and Fright Night 2011. And uh, let me just also, uh, you know, just some side notes here. I did not watch this as This a is a movie only you know because I was, I was very I was very blind. Uh, I had like, you know, like my blinders were on. That said, growing up in the 80s, you go to the video the, the, the video shop. Um, You're seeing this poster. Well, the uh, the box, which is basically like it's it's there's an illustration of a ha- of a of a house. It's sort of looking creepy, and um, some creepy looking clouds, and there's a face there, like with how do you describe that that uh, uh, um, uh, the, it the, is, the prosthetic? It is, it is well. Here's the a, a little bit about that. Is that that is the that is a it's like a it's an artistic, Stan, Stan again, Winston-esque it's, type of. It's, it's the prosthetic that Amanda Bierce, you know, Marcy from Marcy Married from with Children, Married who with children. plays the, you know, yeah. the female love interest in this movie long before Married with Children. Um, that was a supposed to be a quickie bit, a, a shock piece that they were like, we just want this shot of her character, mm. you know, coming into frame and having this rictus giant, you know, great. And it was not even like, it's like, we just needed. Well, Sarandon to, also has right, that too, right? And right. It was, but it was, but see, the thing is, Hers was kind of like, I, it doesn't have to be that great. Like they were all like, it does, and they even the guys who made it were like, yeah, it was a rush job. We didn't really put, it, but it became iconic because it is a shock moment in the movie where suddenly ah, she's there. It's good enough for that short period, and so it sticks with you. And so I understand why then they're like, okay, we got to make the poster for this. What's an iconic thing? 
to have in the poster from the film. What is a good visual? And, and they chose that face over the house, and, you know. And here's the thing, like, you know, um, I have to say, if I had to, if I watched this in my youth, I would say, okay, it's by far one of the most 80 of 80s, very 80s. movies it's I've ever seen in my movies, whole life. Yeah. Because it's got the formula there, which is like, you know, um, hey, there's something going on with the neighbors, right? That That's a trope, right? Uh, not only that, the, the neighbors, uh, the neighbors, a, a, a vampire. That's a trope too, right? You know, or or there's something weird going on next door. Uh, here's another trope. I'm trying to bed my girlfriend. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's all about losing. A These chariot. are we got to lose you go, our energy. Yeah. High schoolers, Miguel. Right. So <laughs> well, we're here to believe that. We're here to believe that. Well, one of the other parts of it is 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 not just- Charlie, aka Williams Ragdale, also known as Herman from Herman's, Herman's head, head. Yes. Right. We're to believe that he's, um, and you know, he's a very- I guess an 18-year-old? A very milk-toasty type brunette, you know, like you pretty much- Straight from central casting, like, yeah. Yeah, like there's no difference between him and Billy from- From from, From Gremlins. From Gremlins or, you know, or what's his face from Real Genius, you know, like, you know, they're, they're all the same type. Right. Uh, and then you have the girlfriend, a really young Amanda, Amanda Beers, Amanda Beers yeah. you know. But still, this is the goes in the 80s, what you're saying. Are they young? Absolutely, they're young. These are not people. They're young the way Phoebe but, Cates was young. You know what I'm saying? It's like- yeah, well, well, yeah, well I think <laughs> the, the key point is that um, Billy and his girlfriend and Phoebe Cates in Gremlins are, we are of age, we are going to college and we have side jobs. And how they dress and look and their hair fits that. You go like, yeah, okay, yeah, they're going to the local community college. Which is which is who, you know, Charlie and his girlfriend and his friend Eva Led, that's who they look like, but they've decided, <laughs> nope, they're in high school. These are high schoolers, and it's just like, really? Like, you are definitely on the dark side of 24 here. Like, there's no, like... Any way around that, like yeah. you're in your twenties thoroughly. And another another thing to throw in into the, the thing in, in the eighties into the weird formula is we're gonna throw in a quirky uh, uh older character here played by Roddy McDowell. Right, yes. You know, yes. he he's you know, and he fits it's the type, which is like uh I'm doing such and such. Well, you right? need it is this was definitely one of those cases of like that's the role that we talk about that's the Obi-Wan Kenobi role. <laughs> uh, and I don't mean no 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 not not No, you're thinking, right. You're absolutely no, But not what you're yeah, thinking. I know. I, I mean in I the know. sense of like we need to cast a a actor with some gravitas who has some sort of lineage that yeah, we yeah, can yeah. latch onto like oh, this is a quality production. This person decided to be a part of this. And they originally, you know, for the 1985 version <laughs> that Roddy McDowell's part was originally supposed to be Vincent Price. The concept of the film originates with uh, Tom Holland, a director-writer, who had had a previous mm. script that was turned into a movie about uh, like a serial killer. Tell me if this sounds familiar, Ed. A Someone living next door to another person, you know, is looking at their, you know, is is doing a whole rear window. I'm watching you at night. I'm watching what you do. Oh, no. I think they might be a serial killer. And oh no, they now know that I know. This was his previously (laughs) produced film Mm -hmm. that he didn't direct, that he had just written the screenplay for. So he was all like, I want to redo my story. I want to get a chance to redo the story that some other director fucked up. I have to give it a new wrinkle. And he, the new wrinkle he gives it is, hey, let's make the serial killer a vampire. 
And two was, well, if he says, what would I do if I were like 16, 17, 18 years old and I found out that there was a vampire living next door to me? He says, I would be stupid. I would think I, if I went to like Vincent Price, he'd give me the answers. So that's why we get to Vincent Price was supposed to be Roddy McDowell. Uh, he was supposed to be Peter Vincent. It's why he's named Peter Vincent, because he's named after Vincent Price <laughs> and Grand Moff Tarkin himself. Peter Cushing. Peter Cushing. And if you notice, Peter Vincent dresses up like sort of like Sherlock Holmes. And that is an homage to, again, Peter Cushing and um, um, Lee, um, who had who had Christopher, Christopher, Christopher Lee, had, Lee, who had played, you know, um, Sherlock in in the past. And fine, you know, the the final ultimate like cornerstone of this movie in terms of cast is Chris Sarandon as Jerry as Jerry the Vampire. And speaking of which, I, you know, maybe this is one of the reasons why I never I didn't pick it up uh in my youth, right? It's that they're they're not really big names. You know, Roddy McDowell is the biggest, my, yeah, and is that's the biggest not, name, and it's right? It's like, what was the last thing you did? I watched it, and I'm like, I'm like, you class s- of 1984, you know, stuff like that. I, I mean, it's been here, here. You, you introduced it to me, and and this was rather, this was I, I, I first saw it at some point, maybe late last year, right? Uh, we had talked about it. Really, really was. Uh, I thought it was earlier. Or, I think I, I want to, I want to say early, least, early in the year. I have to have told you about it when the remake came out. I had to have like said, oh, I really like the well, remake. Look, you got to see I the went original. for it. I watched the 85 version and then the 2011 one with Anton Yelkin, right? But I'm watching the, the, uh, the 85 version and I'm, and you're, and you're like Chris Sarandon. I'm like, Chris Sarandon, Chris Sarandon. Where do I know this guy from? What a, Taylor Two Cities, CBS's like Taylor Two Cities, where <laughs> where he plays like you know uh, Charles Darnay and Sidney Carton. I'm like, I'm like, see, only minute. you would go to that well, and, and not be like, oh yeah, the Princess Fucking the, Bride. The, the, <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason which being is probably is like, his most iconic the, role. Well, you know? the reason that you know, like uh, uh, Taylor Two Cities happens to be one of my favorite classic yes, I know. classic books. Right now, you talk. <laughs> I love talking about it, and uh, and I had the paperback. Where it's got like some of the some of the photos from the Peter Cushing's but in it by the way. Oh <laughs> wow! Oh, full circle. Right, full circle. And uh, and I'm like, oh, but I never watched the the made for TV series. Oh, okay, right? right. But and that's why I know I'm like he looks familiar, right? So and uh, so I'm watching like Chris Sarandon, mm. right? You know, and uh, Susan, so first Susan off, Susan Sarandon's ex, which again, that's another thing. I, I didn't realize I'm like Susan Sarandon's ex. No one, so. no one does. Everyone for years thought it was a. That must be her brother. <laughs> Around really, that were, and, and like, then if it's like, oh, they were married. She never changed the name, and you know, for a long time, my whole thing for the longest time, it was like, well, how can you let that get away? And now I realize he just put his dick in crazy. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, <wow. laughs> Strong language. There, by the way, there's 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 no there's no reaction in. In my in Miguel's uh, face right now, just none whatsoever. There's nothing. It's just, it's just a walk you know, through the park. Prove, through the park. Prove me wrong, gentlemen. Walk Prove walk me walk. wrong. <laughs> anyway, um, so Chris so, Sarandon, you know, rounds out this cast that, as you said, is not made of gi- like again. Chris Sarandon's not a giant star, mm. but he's a well-established actor. This film's conception is, as you said, very '80s. In in the sense that this director Tom Holland, who um, Tom Holland is a is a you don't know perhaps that he's a very big fixture in like h- the horror space, 
not only because of this film, but again, other films he did before this was uh, this was his directorial debut. But he had written a lot of screenplays for stuff like like Class of 1984, you know, things like that. He has a very popular horror podcast today these days, apparently, that is, you know, he's very well. And his whole thing is, this is a film that could only have been done starting in the mid-80s. We are starting out with, it's like, well, we're very meta because we have the whole conceit of Charlie's character going to the host of a, you know, a horror show a guy who pretends to be a vampire hunter. <laughs> the the, the Roddy McDowell. He can actually help me. You have the fact that it is meta in the sense of Jerry Dandridge, Jerry the Vampire. Again, the fact that we go, he's Jerry it's the Vampire. Jerry, Jerry that the Vampire. It sounds very Rick and Morty-ish, right, but, but it's he not. Is, but he is still- Jerry the Vampire. <laughs> he, it, Jerry is a full-on classic vampire. He's just been updated. Uh, he is a, you know- who is, you know, who's who's the smooth, suave, like, person in the 1980s? Yuppie scumbag, right? <laughs> He's, you know, is a yuppie scumbag who, um, you know, the hair, the dress, everything about him. And Jerry, as a character, knows all of the tropes that are in vampire horror movies. Garlic. Holy water, all that stuff. We lampshade all that. And then we also lampshade the fact that Jerry is fucking offended by all this. (laughs) When they have their final confrontation at the end, he is so happy he's going to be able to kill fucking Peter Vincent, the guy on TV (laughs) that makes fun of vampires. (laughs) That's why he has that great moment. He's like, welcome to Fright Night. And that's fun. And then he goes, for real. Because he's like, like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you're going to have fun in games killing vampires. Well, uh, try this on for size, motherfucker. Then you also have the fact that you have that line where Peter Vincent says, no one is interested in vampires and the classic ghouls. They just want to see, you know, young teenage girls get chopped up by guys in like, you know, hockey masks in the wood. <laughs> Going to the fact that, again, this was like, this was a hard sell to make at the time yeah. because- they didn't, and also it was a hard sell, and that's why it's the budget that it is. So Tom Holland gets the budget he wants to make for this movie. It's not a lot, but the flip side is he doesn't have any interference, and the studio doesn't like tell him what to do. And maybe there are things that like, like I, we've talked about, like we said, hey, our 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 our, our hero, you know, Charlie Brewster, Ragsdale. He's fine. I love this movie. He's perfectly fine in the part. It, he, he plays the part that it's supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, like, okay. like, like we said, you know, like but it's if a, you, he's if a you type. If you sub him out for Broderick. The, a Matthew Broderick or Charlie Sheen, it would, it have, would been, have elevated this movie. would have been even more. Yeah. It would have been better And off. that is the thing about uh, it is, um, like I said, I, I really feel that the fact that it's it for years it's sat in the same place on the VHS <laughs> shelf, right? You know? Um, and it was never like something that we, and the posters were, were all on the wall too, you know? Um, but, you know, I think the marketing, while it's, it costs seven to $9 million to make, and it made like what, $29 million back. Like it made some money, it was, but it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a more hit. than enough hit. It was, but more it could have been, this is something that could have been really it is huge. just a little off here and there that could have pushed it over the top. And I think either of those things would have been either an increase in the budget. Mm. It does very well for what it for what it is. 
But I'm not going to lie and think that a few extra million here and there always gives no. a, a filmmaker a little greater latitude no. in what they're going to do. And I do think that if you subbed out Charlie and only Charlie, there's, because everyone else is pretty great in their parts. Well, there's here. a weird um, laboratory experiment thing going on here, right? You know, which is like, because not only is it kind of horror, it's also dark humor. It's also comedy, you know? I think the connection that like, like you know, there are this a is like Ghostbusters type of well, right. a lot of the special effects in this film were done by these by by Richard Edlund, who had handled all the SFX for Ghostbusters, and in fact, there are reused puppets and monsters that they re refurnish when they were making this films because it was such a low budget, and they were like, oh hey, we got some stuff that's left over from Ghostbusters that. Um, honestly, the studio had told them when they were working on Ghostbusters that that looks too scary. That's too mm. demonic. That's too gory. And they just put it, you know, as anyone else who puts in a lot of work on something that they's almost finished and then is told you again, it's like, well, maybe we could use it another time. And in fact, makeup effects and various puppets and other things are stuff that was left over from Ghostbusters. And it does share the DNA also of, hey, we know that this is tropey stuff from like classic cinema you know horror you know ghosts and monsters you know vampires and stuff but we're gonna give it its 80s spin we're gonna make it as if we were making it today well for one thing the sexuality on this like you know, they, look there's a character who's just a hooker yeah right you right, know yes um they take they take uh, they take marcy like this is a young um, amanda beers right you know and uh who she's beautiful in this movie she's she's both wait no she is adorable right. as the girlfriend. Yeah, and then when and she post vamp change, <laughs> she becomes like Marilyn Monroe on steroids. She's just she has this red fire red yeah, hair, yeah, yeah. and she gets a tan. Right. It's like it's like being a vampire. That is, is nothing is more always great for you. You're nothing, always going to upgrade your look. There's nothing more eighties than that, which is like you take the the girl lead, the female and she lead. Gets super, she's be quiet because now that she's been corrupted. She's been corrupted. Now that she's been corrupted, <laughs> sex is a given. She has nothing but, you know, a th a, an unquenchable thirst for Look, both blood and sin. The the, um, um, the 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 club, the dance club that they're at. You yeah, know, very right? '80s with the with the like workout clothes as both sort of like going out clothes. And the director goes, "Okay, Amanda, put on your sexuality right there as you're dancing with with, right. with again, Chris." Because she's not getting anything cuz again, going back to your whole thing of right. it's an 80s movie where losing Maybe the tonight is a night is the biggest yeah. thing. Maybe tonight I mean? is a night. <laughs> and we're dealing with an era where like we could make like Porky's could get four movies. Dude, um So people got Ever so Young often, men trying to lose it was like everywhere. ever so often. I'll I'll come across and and in, in my algorithms, it's like a weird science, right? Yeah. You know, I'm like, what? Wait, what's going on here? Like two young kids, two young kids create are a sex robot on a computer. Create a sex robot, and it's who like never wants to have sex with them. <laughs> <laughs> and the first thing it's like they're both taking showers with with uh, Kelly with the Brock, exactly, right? You know, and like, what what is this but, about? And, I, and I, but see, the problem is, is you don't you you know you, this is you having forgotten that that like thirty years have passed, and that when you were a kid, and when we were kids, there was a big there deal. were thirteen channels, and no one had access to porn. <laughs> and this, you know, like of course you're going to write a movie that has these other elements. You're it's going to be a hit. Um, no, no, not again, not again, going back to Fright Night, this is sort of the same thing where, you know, these 
I, these 80s ideas are being woven into a genre film that would not have been woven in 20 years prior. Mm. Um, making it relatable to a kid, even if it does have those issues. Like, again, I love this movie, but as I've said, I, I see the shortcoming. I love that it's way, it's woven those things in, but you have to also then give it a second look going like, yeah, but Charlie and his girlfriend look like they should be in college. <laughs> On the flip side, though, Charlie's mom in this movie is pretty cool, even though she's like she's she's relegated much more to the background in this film than, say, in the 2011 remake. But like in the opening of the movie, it's like Charlie's up there with his girlfriend and they they have a lover's quarrel. They were supposed to have sex, but instead he's like he's doing this peeping Tom thing on like the neighbors next door. When she comes down and Amanda Burr starts talking to the mom, it's like the mom is like like it's funny for an 80s film. It's not trying to be that neo-1950s conservative bullshit. Mom's all like pretty much in all ways, but just says, oh, did you guys get to finish fucking up there? <laughs> and the girlfriend's kind of like, nah, not tonight, Mrs. Bruce. <laughs> She's like, well, okay, well, you know, uh, you know, I keep hoping for you guys, you know, maybe the next time. <laughs> that is an odd, like, that's a little kind of an odd part of the film to me myself. Um, but overall, it's also another example of what I would like to call like the real 1980s. Cause even as much as I'm like, again, saying, Oh, these kids don't look like kids. You notice that in terms of the, like the clothing and others. And I, and I told you that Charlie, the way they dress him feels out of place, but most everyone and everything else is 1985 as it really was not the bullshit. Like, the second someone thinks of the 1980s, they, 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 they like, their mind goes to like what the kids wore in like it's, it's mall. head of the class. It, yeah. It's, and it's like, it's, it's mall. And it's like head of the class was yeah. actually the nineties. Like, this is the problem. It's mm. like, no, it wasn't just like, it didn't, we didn't, Reagan didn't come into office and we didn't all of a sudden just everything went day glow. Mm. Like you look at the color palette of the film. You look at the way everything else is. You look at a character like evil Ed and how he's dressed and acts. And, and I remember while I was a kid there, I do remember what the teenagers were like. And Amanda Bierce's character and Evil Ed's character and a lot of the background, they feel and look, yeah, like young people at that time. Maybe not necessarily high school, We, we, high were, school. we were talking about, um, uh, I forget what how we ended up getting on Joel Schumacher, you know. Because uh, we were talking, because about, we're talking about Lost Boys. Lost Boys, also, right, as, you know. As an after and how Lost Boys is a completely, it's a really elevated piece of work. In by comparison, comparison to this, yeah. you know, not just with budget size, but also the fact that, uh, you know, they spent the money on it. It's got the two Corys. It's got, uh, it's got, it's got. Uh, and the uh, big differences we were talking Kiefer about Sutherland. was that, was that it's, it's doing a lot of the same things that Fright Night is doing. Mm. And um, some of it better, some of it not as good, some of whatever. But the key thing is it has a much bigger budget which expands the scope of what the film is and expands the talent that you could bring into this film. So you again you look at you look at like Lost Boys and you go like well, you know, let's be honest, you know, this the is marketing this, was while this, behind while it. Well, this was a film that was made the Corys. They also were somewhat, you know, like he had again, you know, uh, Feldman had already done things like Gremlins, mm. um uh what was the, the other big like like uh 
he had he had a couple of films under his belt at that point. Explorers, Explorers. Well, yeah, there were, you know about uh, uh, the Goonies. Like the he Goonies, had stuff yeah. that people yeah. knew him. Yeah, and he was taking a chance doing this kind of film because he was, you know, the the Frog Brothers mm. in it are kind of like like two weirdo fanboy assholes in in the film. You you know the simple fact that you've got like the the money for a key for Sutherland, so on and so forth. Jason that, Patrick. That you've got that you've got the that you've got a that you've got the 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 money for that soundtrack that you can afford saxophone guy. Ed. Well, you can afford saxophone guy when you're <laughs> when you're you when you're uh, shirtless saxophone guy. Let's Rick let's get that. Let's just guy, you know on, sa- go go look that up if you're into that if you're into that sort of thing. Um, when the marketing is pretty much you know it's the doors. And that song comes People on. People are strange. Like, right? yeah, yeah, they do a like, re- yeah, yeah. like, and it was a hit. It was a huge hit and, by comparison. And that's the thing. Like, as I feel that the spirit of Lost Boys is very connected to what they were mm-hmm. doing in Fright Night. It just was. They had, and I have to. But it, have but, to but ask. this is what I'm getting well, at. Wait, but I like, have to ask. As we said, Fright Night made its money back and more. It was well, it was, it was, again, it was well regarded from the beginning. So well regarded that they remade it. So my question is, I, not question, my supposition is, I really think, I don't think Lost Boys gets made if Fright Night had not come out in 85 and been a hit and said, we can do the same thing, only we just need to up the budget and we'll get even more money in. Probably. I mean, I I was just looking to get at the fact that at one point, uh, Joel Schumacher worked for Halston. Right, you know, in the fashion industry. Oh yeah, yeah. And so um, he had that sort of really his artistic se- sensibility, the production, and that was his. That was his thing. That's a before working for Halston, like he did theater. And that is a net. That is a dividing line between that film and and, and, and Fright Night one. a lot as well, because we are deep into the eighties when we get to you know Lost Boys, mm. and frankly. Yeah, I mean, as much as I, I said, I like the look and production design of Fright Night, things had moved on by the time you get around to Lost Boys. Like, you couldn't dress kids and say that that's what youth culture was or anything else. Filmmaking, like, everything about it of, of, of Lost Boys is just two or three notches above Fright Night. That said, I, I got to give it to the original uh, in terms of, like, coming up with this idea of let's this do it. This is Fright Night Part 2? Yeah, it's not. There is a sequel to the, the nineteen. I just realized film. it because of IMDb. And, and I'm both, like, what is this? And both Ragsdale and and Rada McDowell are in what? it. What? And it's a reverse of the of the first film where it's Rada McDowell has a has a is trying to convince Charlie that there really is a vampire that's stalking him. Yada 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 yada. It tries to be what the first one was, but it you know it it learns all the wrong lessons. It goes too goofy. Uncle Rico's in it. Uncle Rico's in it as a vampire <laughs> slash. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's wow. Sick. Okay. Uh, all, all you have to do, honestly, is watch the trailer for it. That's online at some point, and, and you'll see what the difference is. What the, like it's like. Oh, we get it now. Now you know Fright Night is a thing, and they it plays up the comedy, which is a subtle thing in the first Fright Nights. Rather than like like it's not goofy in your face. It's like no, no, no. We want you to be scared of Jerry. This is a legit like. <laughs> vampire monster film, but we are going to have some funny stuff and we're going to play a little, some meta jokes. I do think that this was a film that even though it was a smaller, it was a hit, it made its money. It really found its audience via cable and VHS. Cause Lord knows I didn't see this in 85 in the theaters. I probably first time saw it sometime in 86 
maybe even later, because that was the other part about these these sort of movies, um, its release into onto HBO or on home video were delayed for some time back in the day. We didn't get it like a month later or, you know, as soon as it was out of the theaters. <clears throat> it was a bit of a wait. So whenever I saw it, it wasn't in the theaters. And it built its cult up that way. And it's not the greatest film of all time. It's not the greatest vampire film, for him, but for what it does, it does so, so very, very, very well. And it is, um, when you say as, as an 80s thing, I have to ask, do you mean that in a negative way or just as a signifier of it is of its time? No. I mean, it's not, I have nothing negative to say about it. I mean, one of the first things I said to you was, like, it's a very, it's a charming movie. Right, you know, it's I, yeah. in in that very '80s sort of way. Um, I mean, it's a combination of it's a it's a high octane. What's an '80s '80s movie? I mean, yeah, eighteen, sixteen candles or something like that. You know, um, but something similar to like I don't know, like I love pointing this out. Real genius, right? Yeah, I was you know, it's it. it's a it's always like some journey of some boy going through something and let's see how it's going to, how he's going to turn up on the other side, on the other side of the journey. Right. You know, well, and, and it is of it, you know, of, in terms of like monster movies. It's always young people usually they're, facing they're, some sort of exactly. threat. Uh, so here we have this again, the eighties extension of mm -hmm. that. Um, it, we, we have a sort of like a frankness of sexuality that was not a thing that was, mm -hmm. you know, as I said, they made four porkies. <laughs> they made four porkies. Four four films about teenagers well, they, who they wanted made more to go police academies they, they, and a cartoon. They, they made four movies about teenagers again, and the teenagers and porkies all look like they're in their thirties. By the fourth one, <laughs> they made they made four pictures about kids wanting to lose their virginity. So that was not a thing that you had even in the seventies that much, or the sixties and the fifties beforehand. Mm. Here we are explicitly like no. Sex is going on. No. These teenagers are fucking. This film, fuck. It's, it's got a good, it like, but the as far as the the movement of this movie goes, it's it's a it's it's a good ride. It's a very pleasant ride. Yeah. Right. And and then when you get to the end, like I I I rewatched the ending. Right. You know where they they're in the attic, and then they sort of realize, oh, we, we're gonna smash. All the, uh, um, the, 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 yeah, because we're, we're, the, the windows. Because from garlic to the crucifix to a lot of other yeah. stuff, like some of it's working, some of it's not, but we know the sunlight. Ronnie McDowell, I don't know what he flips over and Sarandon's like, yeah, I don't know what you're doing there. And then, and then there's a, a, a ray of light. And then, uh, Charlie just goes, you know, just he starts seeing the same thing. Right. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and, uh, and, the the beams of light they just like they 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 blow them up like they just melt into smithereens. It's way 80s in that it's sense. It's very 80s because right? we get because we now have the technology to do yeah. gory effects. And then we get yeah. we get uh, men of beers they in the dress back to a virgin back yes. to a virgin virgin yeah. ego. Yeah, yeah, she plays for the other team she as, as we realize now. at this point. <laughs> uh, I will I, like. It, so it's hitting all like it is just the 80s version of these things. So, like I said, you know, Sarandon is playing this suave, charming vampire. You know, he's not some sort of like, un, you know, he only gets monstrous mm. at certain points in the picture. And when they do, getting back to like the 80s, the other part of the 80s is that we now have this technology. So let's 
show it. Let's show the monsters in all their glory. Let's have all the blood and the gore. And it delivers on that. I would say, again, the the budget is a little limiting, but um, for what the budget is, these are like, they have a werewolf transformation in this that is not as good as the werewolf transformation in um, an American werewolf in London. It's in fact the, the reverse because it is not a mm. man turning into yeah. a werewolf. It is this vampire that's become a wolf slowly transforming back to his like human form. But it's still pretty damn good. And and does look like, you know, you look at the, like, again, the, the, the bad effects, Jerry's makeup. Again, we talked already about Amanda Bierce's character and her giant rictus, mm, you know, yeah. fang-filled face. There's a lot of good stuff on that level that works that I think it had it been in a bigger budget movie probably would look cheaper because it'd be like, why is you have everything and then this looks like this? But because the budget of this is small and the the scale of the film is smaller... I do, I do think it, it, it works well. Like, I don't think there's, there's too many effects motions where I go like, that looks really cheesy. It's like, that looks cheap, but ch- before this, it's pretty fucking good. Now, fast forward close to two decades, okay? Because you go, not only you get to watch this, but watch the remake, okay? And, uh, and I'm like, at, by this time, I'm like, wait, David Tennant? He's now he's now Peter Vincent. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I with think Anton I, Yelkin, with Anton Yelkin, well, what is I, going on I, here? You know, I don't. Um, um, I, before we get into the 2011 film, I gotta, I gotta. Uh, so, so John, if you've been paying attention to any of the uh, uh, of what we're talking about, does any of this sound interesting to you? Yeah. Uh, or did, and for that matter, let me ask: Have you, you know, I know you've seen Lost Boys, right? Oh no! Wow! Wait, what? <laughs> really? Never seen the Lost Boys. Never seen the Goonies. What? Never seen. Wait, there's something going on here. I don't think is this, this is an intervention. This is an this intervention. intervention. Okay, pop culture intervention. All right. Oh, but, okay. So all show's right. done. Show's We're done. doing an intervention okay, right now. But okay, so you're so you're so you're hearing what the story is, and uh, you know the basic breakdown is again, it's this young guy's in high school, and he suspects that his you know a neighbor is a killer, and in fact is a vampire. No one believes him. And his only like recourses is he thinks is, hey, let me go to the guy that like does the starred in these cheesy ham- vampire movies and is now the host of like a like a monster mayhem, whatever thing on like Saturday night in his local TV station. And he will help me with his knowledge of fighting monsters, which he's actually never done in killing this 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 vampire that happens to live yeah. next door. So any of this sound like interesting to you or do you get yeah, why? I think it's a, f- a fun, fun little Campy movie, yeah. I I do think there's it's 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 just serious enough that you are always in the moment of the film of like oh I this is dangerous or this is you know or this is sexy or this is whatever the moment is you're into it but it's not like a giant epic film it is just kind of like hey here's the conceit and let's run with it. Um, it had a like I said it's not a giant cult it was a bit of a hit and then continued to find its 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 place. It was enough that they, again, they wanted to make a, a remake. But I do also think that there is a little bit of a lightning in a bottle aspect. Um, it's a hard thing to recreate. And that brings us definitely to the 2011 film, um, which surprisingly, it's I have honestly, different in my, in feelings my, about. In my opinion, it's a lesser known of the two. 
because uh, you know, if you had not mentioned the, uh, the remake, I would not have known that it was that it even existed, right? You know, but like, well, look, the, and the cast is very um, well, who, not you, that very. Dissimilar. Can you give me who the director was? Oh, the director, uh, director, my name is Craig Gillespie, right? So, um, Holland, obviously, this is he's still behind it. Uh, the, Craig Gillespie um, uh, was behind I Tanya, Corella which are very good films. Um, so, you know, he's, this is back in 2011. So he probably cut his teeth. Yeah. And um, it was, and it was that time when people were looking, like the studios were looking mm-hmm. for what can we reboot? What can we reboot? And, and in hindsight, not, not that any of that has changed in 12 years. <laughs> in hindsight, if you had to, if you had to think back, like Anton Yelkin, who was an up and coming Star like he, I don't know which came first. Like if he'd already been involved with well, Terminator. Star Trek was two thousand and nine. Two thousand nine, so right? He was making yes, so, he was so, getting okay. So yeah. he's he's getting us. Uh, I don't know when Terminator Salvation. No, no, I don't know when uh, because he was a part of that too, I believe, or the one of those Terminators, right? Yeah, uh, but we got uh, Colette, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, very much a heartthrob of the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think that's perfect casting for Jerry. You Tony know? Collette. David Tennant, we mentioned David, uh, David Tennant. Um, David Tennant, yes, our doing Dr. Who. Christopher Mintz, by the way. Christopher you know. Mintz. This is uh, a McLovin. McLovin, <laughs> this is very much of its time A young casting. Dave Franco. A very young Dave Franco. Yeah, this is, I- By the way- And who's the, and Piper, is Piper Parabu is the- is, uh, Piper Parabu's not in this. Oh, who's the- Her who's name the, is uh, Imogen Poots, and I don't Imogen know- Imogen Poots, okay, right. Uh, are you really going to come down to me for mistaking Piper Parabu yeah. and Imogen Poots? Because this- yeah. Again, both of those names are fucking ridiculous. There's a show called Covert Affairs starring <laughs> Pepper Parabo on USA. On USA, um, didn't you watch that? And I'm sorry, like, I don't want to seem like a disgusting old man, a, 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 a disgusting, horny old guy, but uh, gonna- Sophia Vergara's sister yeah, is Sophia in this. Sophia Vergara's sister is in this. Sandra oh, Vergara. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. John is like, excuse me, what? And uh, Chris Sarandon does he he does have he does a cameo. A cameo. On this. Yes, yes, yes. Um, this some and really like, s- look at that. That is a really good cast. <laughs> In all honesty, that is a really good cast. Um, they, the, you know, and I'm gonna be unpopular here. I love the original Fright Night. Mm. I absolutely love that film. Um, I admit that there's some nostalgia goggles with it. It is not as great as I think to anyone who usually expands upon it. It's not, but it's re- it's an incredibly interesting, fun, and memorable movie to me. It has always had a soft spot in my heart. So you would think, being a cranky old fucking Gen X old man, that I should just knee jerk hate the 2011 uh, you know remake. No, and no, I don't hate it. I. Thoroughly enjoy that movie. It's a it's a fun I think watch. It, I think it accomplishes what it wants because again, it wasn't trying to recreate the greatest of movie of all time. It was trying to recreate a pretty good movie, <laughs> and I think it's a pretty good movie. I think that the remake is. And it feels a pretty very good movie. like it's 2011, but it feels very 90s. If like you know, like in my opinion, um, or maybe late 90s. I will say that the one aspect that probably has not done it. It's best, and I'm not usually a person who who does rank on this shit because mm. I don't. I, I think all comes out in the wash, in my opinion. But I do think that the fact that it was filmed as this sort of like 3D thing, yes, and the effects are made for that more of a 3D than anything. And so when you get to any heavy use of CG in it, it's not horrible, but it is obviously CG, and I can for some people that takes them out of the film. So I I get that. I completely get that part of it. 
all of that said, as I said, I think it's a I think it's a it's a more than successful remake. Um I think that above all just like the first film, it's more it's very character driven. Um it works on the level of being a straightforward vampire film of like look, in I think Jerry as played, you know, by Sarandon in the first film is legitimately scary. And you needed to have that here. And Colin Farrell's having, not only is he having a blast as the bad guy in this, like you can tell he's having fun. From the moment that they introduced his vampire, like in the beginning of the film, remember there was like this whole like the camera going through the house and then they they set it in like around Las Vegas. So it's like this idea of like you're in a place that's built up, but then there's still desolation. And his first kills are legitimately like super scary. And as a bad guy, Colin Farrell's Jerry is unrelenting. Like he is like that whole like, oh, you won't let me inside the house. (laughs) I was going to bring that up. Right. (laughs) That's they're like, oh, well, the vamp, you can't let the vampire come in um, if you don't invite him. And, you know, that's just it. You'll safe inside your house. And he's like, "Okay, well, all right. So, yeah, John, here's here's what happens in in the Fright Night remake. Okay. So they establish those rules of which they have for vampires of, you know, you know, we've all had the whole holy water, garlic, you know, you they have to be invited in. Have to be invited in, right? So they have a whole thing. And there's a really wonderfully tense scene where as Anton Yelkin, as this new version of Charlie Brewster in this, is sort of sussing this out, what's happening, where he kind of wants to get brought in. He's like, oh, hey, man, like, like he's just like a neighbor. He's like, oh, man, look, I'm having this girl over and I promise her some beers. I don't really... I have a six pack and I like borrow like a, a six pack and you can see he wants to be invited in. And Charlie is just smart enough that he's like, oh, hey, yeah, no, no for you to wait there. I'll come and like tests it and you can see it. It's a very, very good scene. So we have this established as a thing that apparently Jerry can't just break this rule. However, we can find ways. So he that when it's full on out, when the the kid his mother and his girlfriend are like in the home and it is like, dude, there's no doubt about our neighbor's a fucking vampire and he's coming here to kill us. They're like, we just won't let him in. And he's like, okay, all right. He just, he's like walking around their backyard. He's looking into the, the like under the ground in the yard. Like, what was he doing? He's super strong vampire. So he like pushes his hand into the dirt, pulls up the gas line. <laughs> and he was like, don't have to be invited in if there's no fucking house and blows their house. (laughs) Like, I mean, like, so in other words, they're honoring the lore of what, of vampires. Right. But they're also going like modern sensibilities. Well, if you, if you really wanted to, what, uh, what are the ways like around us? Um, so I don't know if you realize this. So just like similarly with the 85 version that gets a sequel, that's this awesome. one gets a sequel, right? Yes. Uh, made in 2013. Uh, uh, Anton is not involved in it. And it seems like, and it, so you go- You got like, uh, I think Tennant is in it. Uh, Tennant is not in it. Oh, he's not in so it. Wow. It goes in autopilot, right? Because it's like, you know. And it's a shame because here's the thing about that, this remake. There are a lot of differences. One of the biggest differences is that they, they simply have to make accounts for time. So one of the big things is that, look- John, there are no more horror hosts on Friday, Saturday night and from local TV for kids to watch. Everything's been corporatized. There is no sort of like local flavor of the local station that would have it. That's how Elvira started. 
Elvira later was KTLA and, and, you know, out out on the coast had, you know, a Saturday night thing of like, you know, let's watch whatever. And that was a thing that was common for a lot of local stations. We need something cheap to put on Friday, Saturday night. It's kind of sad that we don't have that. It is that we've lost our local flavors. Again, that's corporatism. So they knew that. They were like, well, this is a movie that's going to be taking place today. So so he's not going to turn the TV on and there's going to be a horror host. So what can we do? So I do like the idea that what they did was instead they were like, what if this Peter Vincent character was like a Chris Angel like musician type, right? <laughs> and had like a, uh, a and had like a what do they call it? A, not a redundancy, an occupancy at like a Las Vegas like theater, because that's one of the other conceits of the film is that it takes place in Vegas and Jerry the Vampire uses the idea that like they're like, oh, well, why are all of his why are all the windows like painted? black and it's like oh, it's not unusual it's vegas a lot of people work in the casinos they're all night long they they work third shift they come home they don't want to have like sunlight like you know blasting through their their skies oh okay okay that, that that's cool so peter vincent is now like a chris angel he puts on a whole stage magic vampire thing and you've got david Tennant, david Tennant. Doc, doctor who um, at his most david tennity <laughs> in this part playing like you know like this guy who you eventually learn, like, when he was a kid, his family was attacked by vampires. That's how he became, you know, enthralled with the lore, wanted to understand, collected all of these, like, things that were realist, real vampire hunting shit. Mm-hmm. But he was, you know, he's just been so scared. He knows they're real. He's not doing anything about it, right? He's not, he's just like, whatever. So when this kid comes to him with the same thing, like, I think my neighbor's a vampire, <laughs> You're the only one I know who has any knowledge about this. Can you come help me? And it is, it's, you know, it's a replay of that. But by the end of the film, I personally am a little like, well, whatever is going on with Charlie and his girlfriend is done. It's a happy ending. He's with his girlfriend. We've killed the vampire. Peter Vincent is still out there. Who, by the way, he loses Sofia Vergara's uh, uh, <laughs> sister who gets killed in the movie, which is a huge bummer. And he doesn't really seem to be all that like broken up about it. And I'm just going to say this right now. If I'm losing Mr. Vergara as my girlfriend, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm very, very sad. But the concept was then left open if they wanted to go a sequel in this route of Peter Vincent is now, yeah, he's killed a vampire with this kid. And he's a guy that goes all over the world. That's your that's your fright night. Fright Night is Peter Vincent, like your movies. He's a he's a traveling magician who pretends to put on the show about vampires, but he's secretly coming to your town to fucking clean it out of them. You can do something with that, and especially as it was developed in in this movie. That's the intent, I think, with these with With these these with these sequels. Now, now that said, like I'm going through IMDb, and it's like more like this that section, right? You know, and. there's a Lost Boys, The Thirst. What? Yeah, hey, hey, there's a lot of Feldman's in that. There's a there's lot Lost of Lost Boys, video The video. Tribe, yeah. of Dust Till Dust Till Dawn, two. Yeah, <laughs> two. Uh, Not even the first one. Uh, Phantasm Ravager. Uh, okay, all right, yeah. Hollow's yeah. Eve two, ex, like you know, but Blood see, Rain I would, six. Right, okay, but that again, that is that is the that is the level for both the original Fright Night sequel and the remake and, sequel. And I don't know if you've ever gotten to it. Like you know, um, shortly after Jen and I got married, you know, one of the things we did week after week was we sat, we actually binged on uh, on um, uh, uh, what is that? What is that? What's that vampire? Show? Oh, True Blood. 
we got into True Blood. Yes, that was right. You were into True so, Blood pretty, pretty head for a while. And that was that was the thing at the time. This is a 2000, 2005 going into 2011. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was mm-hmm. it was huge. Suki, Suki, I am vampire. There was something about the <laughs> mid-late 2000s. We got all this vampire vampire sexy vampires and then vampires turned into zombies. Well, no, but here's the thing: they tried to reboot yeah. this whole vampire thing like several times. Like prior to that, it was Anne Rice's uh, yeah, the Lestat shit, yeah, the Lestat stuff with Tom Cruise, you know. And so it wasn't like aside from and then again, and then it sort of settled into just about the area that it was at in the culture, which was like suddenly like Vampire Diaries. And like, Vamp- right. right, and and but like, no, it's Vampire Diaries on CW, which means, yeah, I guess people saw it, but <laughs> the wider culture doesn't like it's it's sort of Robert, like that's what it became. The white, well, yeah, well, the yeah. the whiter, yeah, Robert Pattinson. Wait, I mean, look, 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 look. <laughs> oh yeah, it's all right, right. It's all right, no, yeah. no, John, they're not always white vampires. <laughs> Sometimes they're vampires from Africa that live in France. <laughs> That's right. Look, man, I, I killed black vampires. I, right? I don't know what the PC term for that is. Um, we, I, however, do think that in the terms of that period where we do, there was a little bit of a vampire, you know, Twilight, all the rest of that is out there. And in fact, which is the 2011 Fright Night makes a ton yeah. of Twilight stabs. You know, like, like, like this is bullshit. Don't get me. Good. I do think that in terms of like, on its own terms, the the Fright Night remake works. I think it is both legitimately funny, a legitimately good remake, and a legitimately good vampire. Like, first off, I, lastly, there are so many ways for you to come up with like, hey, I got to go into this place and I got to kill this fucking vampire. There are a million plans that if you know a little bit of lore that you're going to come up with. Like, you know, if I just told you right now, we got to defend against vampires. I know Ed's going to go, well, we're going to get some bows and arrows. We're going to get some some wooden stakes. Everything some, happens. We're going to get some garlic. Everything happens like, you know, like with like on a, on a nice sunny day right. in the middle of a park, you know. Right, yeah. Well, like, there's no way this motherfucker. Yeah, there's right, but okay, so here in Fright Night, you're going like, okay, well, how are they going to, what's their coup de gras? How are they going to coup de gras? This and that's this, why this there's vampire. no vampires in Alaska. <laughs> no, actually, no. Isn't it like six months of sunlight? <laughs> no, yeah. you've ne- you've never heard of Thirty Days a Night. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and that exactly was similar to. Hey, let's do vampires. Let's have an interesting angle on it, and let's make it. Let's ground it in sort of the real world. And so the idea with Thirty Days a Night was, oh wait, there's a place on Earth where the sun does not come up for months huh if i were a vampire this this doesn't sound like a bad deal i I think that i would put the the fright night remake in with the hall of 30 days of night the original fright night um any of these sort of like vampire i I, I would put it into the lestat film I, i think interview with the vampire i think it is one of the rare cases where I really wish guys my age would get the fucking stick out of their ass with this knee jerk. Everything that is a remake automatically is bad. And, you know, if it doesn't completely blow. First of all, nothing is ever going to blow your socks off the way it did when you were nine. Okay. 
And that's, you have to, you We're should yeah. factor that in. Because as much as I love Fright Night, you and me, me here have, we've gripped it on some things, some aspects of it. Again, like this weirdo casting of these kids, you know, there are things that aren't as good as it could be. But unfortunately, a like, re- you know, a it's, remake it's, or reboot doesn't necessarily automatically mean the death knell of something. And the simple fact is a lot of incredibly classic things are remakes. The Maltese Falcon is a remake. Did you do, 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 do you love the Dollars trilogy? Do you love the Dollars trilogy? Well, you better fucking thank Akira Kurosawa for, you know, for creating Yojimbo. Okay. It is not that something simply because it is a remake automatically makes it bad. The truth is that most anything is bad in entertainment. But again, like ninety percent of anything that is originally I produced would have to is say, bad. Again, if not for you know you your you getting all gospely on on the eighty five version, yeah. right? You know, like I'm looking at the numbers. Like it really. You know, like, did it make some money? Like, not a lot, but it did make I, And that's the other part and about the, the, the Fright Night remake is, that I think is totally in line. It made money. Not a lot. Guess what? For all you fanboys who love the 1985 version, well, it's that, about the same level. It's, uh... <laughs> It, it's, it has a, in its Wikipedia, like goes into the section where it's like, you know, home, like a, a home media, right? For Which the like, 2011 For the 2011 one, right? You know, and you look at the, the film as a whole without even watching it and you go, man, the marketing on this, like, it looks like it's straight to video. Like it has I very straight to video that, quality that about it. It should, as big budget as it was in comparison to the original, it probably, like the original, could have standed to use just a l- just a little more goosing there, and some of that goosing might have been, hey, we can't just coast on this thing because it's one of those films that was in a remake hell f- since nineteen 19- again. You know, by the time the nineties rolled around, someone was like, hey, we'd really like to do, like we'd like to make a new one of this, and even then, it still took like fifteen years. <laughs> you know. Um, I, I do think that it, it probably could have standed to rather than just stand on the laurels of, hey, this is a remake of a, of a of a culty kind of film. Yeah, you just said it's a culty film. It needs a bigger push for the for the mass audience because again, I remembered it and my old ass went to see it, but not everyone. Like again, I'm talking to Jonathan here, and Jonathan is not like. 50 years younger than me, okay? And he's like, I don't, never heard of this. I don't know what you guys are talking about. And I was like, yeah, that's why. You you didn't you didn't hear of the original? And you didn't even know what the remake was for 2011. <laughs> well, funny, like yeah, vampires, um, they <laughs> occupy a, a very specific space in the fanboy's mind, right? You know, like, and everyone's different. For me, it was, it's okay. always, for Buffy. me, it's, all, it's always been uh, mm-hmm. Coppola's, Coppola's Dracula, which I love, you know? Um, but it's, and it's, and that's based on a book and, and it's not like if Anna were sitting here right now, she'd oh, give God. us a whole rundown on Vlad the Impaler and yada, yada, and, and, and how that came to be and how we get to our present and like the Bella Lugosi stuff, right? Oh. You know, well, and, and, you don't, you, you don't want to get me started on my, my, my problem with vampires. Not only am I not of, and, and that is why. I've, I, we, what we, what we, is your problem with vampires? Well, we were discussing how, like, you and I both are not particularly great oh, yeah. big horror guys to begin with. If a horror movie is gonna be in my, you know, in my files, it's gonna be something like this. It's gonna be the thing. Ultimately, however, when it comes to vampires specifically, 
I'm sorry, this is going to come off horribly incel, but my problem is, is with vampires, is comes down to this. Um, they are point blank, simply manifestations of women's bad choices in men. <laughs> Period. Okay, let's that like George everything- Hamilton will have different <laughs> words with you. Period. I mean, like, look, it is all about like this guy that you know, like, again, you have you are sitting down. The audience knows what am I watching? A thing about a guy who is at the a end of the day predator. a serial killer and a serial rapist. That's all any fucking vampire is. <laughs> but he's so sexy. And if he's got a good story, oh, if he can if he can make <laughs> either the abandoned as a you, you have to if, say it the way Sean and Gus would do yeah. it, right? So Sean and Gus on psych, they go to a, a, a masquerade party. It's like like I'm Tom Cruise, sexy vampire, you know, <laughs> and you know, she, and I'm black he goes, I'm that black, <laughs> right? But again, it is this case of it's like, well, this is a man who kills consistently and seduces consistently. Again, literally, I will brainwash you into having sex with me. Every fucking story with the vampire, it is non-consensual sex. They are serial killers and they're serial rapists. <laughs> and, but, they, but, and, and they're immortal. But oh boy, do the women like that shit. And you go, huh. Hmm. That's interesting. And it's, it is, it's, ne- there's never is one the ounce s- of self-awareness of this fact. And it's like, do you not, do you not see what this is? And this is the other part. Again, as I said, they are aware of this. I'm going to watch a thing with vampires and I'm going to swoon hold on, over the vampire. Hold on, hold on. These are, wait, Slow no, wait, 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 wait. Their is, Jedi powers were, they're going to brainwash you into thinking that they're sexy. No, because they're- Or is it maybe because no, they're sexy again, because they're no, immortal? No, because no one, is, no one has pictures of gaunt vampire, like <sighs> Nosferatu's. It's a fucking picture of, of whatever his face from fucking but Twilight. But that's, that's a very, that's a very exactly. modern, so, yeah, so, modern yeah, yeah, yeah. aspect of it. But I, Okay, this is, the, the, again, this is a case of, they know these are killers and, and, and rapists and everything else, but they're going, and so you go into real life and how many times is some woman in a bad relationship and they go- Honey, you know he's no good for you. <laughs> you know he's doing bad. You know he's doing this. But I can change him. I can do like at least it's always the same. It's always the same. I can be with this immortal serial killer and no 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 no. I'm we're gonna turn this around. <laughs> I'm the one to turn it around. Exactly. The opinions no. of Miguel Velez do not reflect uh what the show represents necessarily. I'm I'm just saying, look, ladies, do you like do you like vampires? Look in the men in your life. He's saying you're late. probably gonna find some sort of some signifiers there that should tell you you get the fuck out of that All situation. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> <laughs> the monster mash. <laughs> the monster hey, because mash. it's October. Uh, okay. uh, Oh, actually, that's why I wanted to do this because I do, um, I, again, I recommend to anyone do the Pepsi challenge with both of these movies. I don't think you'll be disappointed. You will come away with at least a better understanding of the vampire genre with two pretty good examples of it and a great like one for one sort of like, here's how we do this story in 1985 and here's Mm -hmm. how we do this in the 21st century. And I do think that it's worth it, that they're entertaining and fun. And as like I said, you know, if. Great you ending know, to movie, the if 2011 mo- if version. movie nights were still a thing for people, and they are, you know, and, and um, unfortunately, I don't know, like, who's streaming 
like uh, either of these versions. Um, but uh, you know, find well, fi- you can find, find it again. There, I find think it that somewhere. They, I think it's, that it's, a, it's a fun both, watch. I think that they both have enough um, of a fandom, both of them, that they're not going to ever be impossible to find. Mm-hmm. You know, Fright Night has a name; it's a name brand, like like people. So you know, you bring it up, it'll yeah. it'll come. It, you know, you, you'll find it. And if so, please don't watch one over the other. My recommendation would be. Have a mini, have a mini marathon with some friends, and watch them back to back, and then have a discussion, have a real discussion about like, hey, what, what is, re- and don't be knee jerky because I think that outs. I honestly think the only thing I would negatively talk about the 2011 film, and again, I'm not a guy who harps on this, is some of the CG, and I didn't say all of it. Some of the CG might might it, turn you off, but other than that. Give it a shot. It's kind of unfortunate that, you know, again, you and I are not horror yeah. dudes, you know, like I, I wouldn't even know where to begin to to to, Actually, to instruct the public to go. Is it bad that we're not horror guys? Because on this thing about know. this, because like, look, I know way too many people who are going to parse the differences between fucking Friday the 13th, part seven and part eight. And, part eight, and I'm like, they're they're both shit. Like, there's nothing to part. Like, yeah. if you're in a horror, you're going to try and sit and go, like, no, man, you understand. In J- this one, Jason the and the psychic is, girl, like, and you're going, like, no, no, here's no the there's nothing worth I it. I think that, um, I think uh, in terms of the horror genre, there's some really great things. Yes. For the Koreans are all over that, and they're really good with that. Uh, Japanese cinema does pretty uh, pretty okay and with that as well. And when something ha- is notable, as I said, it makes its way into my pantheon, and I think it's the same for you. It's not an automatic, well, this is horror, and, you know, like, look, uh, you know, it's not genre, but it's franchise, but, like, you and I, we're always gonna mm. cut something from Star Trek a fuck ton of slack, right? We're yeah, always, yeah, yeah. We're, even though we're, fanboys are, like, like, we hold it to the highest standards and we yeah. you know we do that. We, but we also do the whole like, yeah, it's Trek. Don't worry. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, was that the greatest? No, I'm going to let it go. It's not. like So I think with horror, it is sort of the same thing. I do think that there is a sort of like, there's a lot where suddenly it's like you have these fans who are like, oh man, Friday the 13th, the Dream Warriors. That's it's like, it's shit. It's guys, come on. This is not, you're only giving it because you, you love this genre. That's, as I said, though, mm. It's not even my genre, but I think that this this film it deserves these two films deserve to be seen mm. and deserve like again doing that Pepsi challenge one to one because neither of them are the greatest thing in the world, but they are, in my opinion, very entertaining and very entertaining exercises within the general genre of horror. And of vampires, like specifically, if I were going to do like an 80s, like supernatural comedy thing, which we didn't even get into that so much and we're not going to go now, but like, yeah, my, my, like my horror, 80s horror comedy thing would be like, you get, you'd have to have your Ghostbusters, (laughs) right? You have to have your Ghostbusters. I have your Fright Night. I would have your Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, I would have, of course, you would. Uh, your Lost Boys, okay. like, like there is a specific genre of like slickly well-made done horror comedies mm. that both the original and this remake, in my opinion, 
should be uh, it should be a part of. I I whole I full throatedly tell anyone watch the original and then go out and 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 watch the reboot. Um, it is I think a a rare case of that remake reboot. <laughs> Yes, living up to what the original was, you know, you know, for 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 its time. And uh, I look, 2011 is actually quite a while ago. It is quite a while ago. I at this am point. yeah. Hollywood. Give me another remake. I would not be you. You want to you want to give me Fright Night in 2028? Give me Fright Night in 2028, and I bet you I'd still enjoy it. Anyway, S- starring Tom Holland. Starring Tom Holland, ironically, not, yeah, not, not, directed not directed by Tom, Tom Holland. Holland. But now, now here's what. By the time, hum, here's a, he's see that hey, you know, Charlie. See the problem? Yeah, that, the problem is that he's aged out of being the teenager. So now it's it's Tom Holland as Jerry the Vampire. <laughs> Unfortunately, because Tom Holland is kind of and Zendaya, he's put still, Zendaya in he too, still you know? talks like that. So, yeah. Oh hey, oh, listen, hey, so. listen, I thought I'm gonna now. Who would be? Who would be? Uh, um, uh, Jerry and who would be see if they were like Ed no this would have <laughs> if they had done it at the time you could have done the 2011 with Holland and RDJ as Jerry the Vampire and RDJ as Jerry the Vampire would have fucking slapped <laughs> RDJ as Jerry the Vampire probably oh, would have hey, slapped you can invite me in or what so I've got this uh, scroll coming over here and uh, you know just want some uh, little libations <laughs> So if you uh, you know, just kind of a couple of a couple of cores, I'll just come in and get you off your. Oh, hey, listen, I don't know if we. Uh... <laughs> Again, I'm I'm never doing Tom Holland. I'm always doing. It's like Rick. It's always Rick I'm always doing Michael J. Fox's right. like yeah exactly for it's whatever like, reason. What's going on over here, Sarge? Uh, <laughs> Fright Night eighty five two thousand eleven. Watch it. Happy and Halloween. Until, happy Halloween. Until next time. To be continued. <laughs> <laughs> that seems scary. Darkness falls across the land. Hey, thanks for listening to To Be Continued, a fanboy podcast. Please check us out at www.tobecontinuedafanboypodcast.com. Thanks, Clark. Please also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and also our various platforms, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.